Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to 33.3 FM. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by your other host, Thompson. We are happy to be accompanying you during your travels through the astral plane or whatever other plane. Uh, Thompson, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I've gone slightly mad. I've walked through the Golden Arches and come back changed. So, yes, my co-host here, listeners, has uh, gone through a bit of a ordeal of his own and has some information that he's been just dying to share with you. Thompson, what exactly has happened to you here? Well, the plan was that I would dig into the history and the current status of Mac Attacks, the occult cabal of well-meaning magical renaissance purveyors that existed in the late 90s, early 2000s, was hit hard during the Whisper War and has slowly rebuilt. Um, I knew that was still out there, and I had to go and find out for myself. I have been crawling through ball pits. I have eaten... Oh, Jesus, you poor bastard. Uh, That's what you've been getting into? Fuck. That's just the first... Okay, okay. Uh, I'll I'll let you to it then. I've eaten increasingly impossible burgers. I've poured i've done a lot of things okay it's been hard i've i've put on like 20 pounds it's it's are you okay it's like okay, it's like super size me right now it's super size me going on right now and also because they have spread far beyond mcdonald's into all kinds of places uh, both in the united states and internationally and we'll cover all of it we're going to get to the heart of this and i've discovered conspiracies and machinations going all the way to the top going way beyond fast food into whole new realms uh like how far top we're talking we're talking you know pedophile cult shit or look they're they're brushing shoulders with that kind of thing okay not the same okay okay but we're talking at that level. Okay. Uh, frankly, I just assume that if you go high up enough with anything, you just end up with pedophiles. But that may, that may be my own neuroses bleeding in here. Well, we're going to talk about Jared Fogel later. Torpson, I trust you. Where should we start? I think we should start. I've got a lot to talk about, but I want us to get grounded. I want us to get our heads in the right space and sort of cover what we know, what already is out there in the documents um, regarding... Mac attacks, what is generally known in the occult underground about what Mac attacks is, so we're all on the same page. Does that sound all right? Sounds good. What I know about them is pretty much what you covered group in the early 2000s that were trying to sort of spread the love far as charges go, start a uh, popular occult revolution by giving charges to as many people as possible, even ponies, mostly ponies even, using essentially the delivery method of Big Macs, McDonald's cheeseburgers. I know that they've split up. I know that they're involved with a bunch of other fast food recently. I've heard Burger King, KFC, um, stuff about pizza and Starbucks and Subway, but... I, I don't know the details. As far as I can tell, since the Whisper War, those guys have been keeping things a lot closer to their chest than they did back in the early 2000s. Well, the thing is, what I've been able to work out is actually there are more Macs alive and active today than there ever have been, even back during when they were united. Hey, what's a Mac? But what's a Mac? A, 
a Mac is someone as an occultist who works for the Mac attacks conspiracy or worked. But that's going to be the shorthand I use for um, agents of Mac attacks and its children. Um, uh, once a Mac, always a Mac? Well, yes, there is actually a ritual of fealty that they use to bind themselves together. This was able to be used to um, assert leadership over a franchise location and also to accentuate their cooperation in various things. Uh, the ritual of fealty was an important part of Mac Attacks' uh, operating procedures, but it has, like everything about Mac Attacks, been perverted and changed in the new world. All right. Um, I've heard about this a bit, um, though I don't exactly know what happened to it. I know that it's got this ritual went through multiple iterations, which that's not how rituals are. Two, two that we know of. I believe, okay. I believe there are more, and I'll tell you why in a bit. Okay, okay. All right, so let's get everyone on the same page. Um, 1990, young mechanomancer named Derek Jackson meets... Janet Kumya. Uh, Derek Jackson was an interesting fellow. He was unusual because he was. Well, that's that's a good question. We, we're going to get into. We're going to into. He was. I'm going to say that he was at the time. I don't. I'm not saying he existentially was, but he was at the time an interesting fellow because he combined a love of early tech adoption. You know, um, the Usenet and um, you know those 1980s early internet user type personalities oh yeah yeah of course eternal september all that shit oh yeah so cool guy not at the time considered a cool guy in retrospect cool guy but he also combined that with he, the teachings of his uncle who was a mechanomancer uh, mechanomancers are those who derive magic from a sort of retro futurism building machines impossible machines and clockworks and um sacrificing their memories to get them to work, okay? This is a kind of non-scientific science that has become magic. Um, and he was able to combine that with um, real world, because he studied engineering, you know? He's like Yeah, a, the fact that he's combining, like, at the time, modern computing with something as anachronistic as mechanomancy, that's telling me this kid's a smart cookie. For sure, for sure. Um, I, and I think that's kind of how mechanomancy has kept going, is that a lot of these kind of uh, engineers types, computer uh, engineers, computer scientist types, if they encounter mechanomancy, um, I don't know, I think it kind of scratches a weird itch that a lot of those types of people have. It's sort of like how you'll find like engineers who are really into D&D, &D, they'll start to work out all these different like hacks you can use to like combine the like bag of holding and certain spells to create a device which does like creates a huge explosion or like they'll they'll apply logic to magic in role-playing games or they'll be having these amazing arguments about like star trek science even though it's not based on real science at all but they'll follow the logic of it and develop the ideas because they think like an engineer even when it's not real world physics They'll still use engineering logic. They'll apply it to whatever system that they encounter. And I think that's kind of how mechanomancy keeps going because they can apply that logic to it. And it works. Like, often applying logic to magic doesn't work, but mechanomancy is a special case. Okay, how's that tie in with uh, Mac attacks? That's, that's 
what the kind of guy he was at the uh-huh. time. He meets a woman named Janet Kumya. Now, she's interesting. She comes from uh, South Florida, a wealthy family. Oh, God. Nothing good ever comes out of South Florida. I believe that they were a wealthy family of Caribbean uh, extraction uh, because they were post-voodoo uh, people. And by, by post-voodoo, I mean, I mean that they had learned of the masks, the avatar masks, um, and they had moved away from belief in the law towards just simple, very kind of, very capitalistic, very, uh, what's the word for it, extractive view of magic. They would use the their avatar abilities and their only real goal was to maintain quiet, comfortable, wealthy lives, okay? So Janet, she wasn't happy with that. She didn't want, she, they wanted her to, you know, play the role, literally, whatever role it was, because it would have been an avatar role. So these are like raising their kids into avatar roles. And you'll be that avatar, you'll play that role, you'll have a good life, and then you'll move it on to the next generation. And, and it goes on like that. This is the kind of occult family, uh, magically inclined family that's quite common, but they don't really interact with the under, occult underground that much because they keep to themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I've run a few folks like that myself. These are the kind of people that if you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone. But they, if you go after them thinking, oh, these people, they don't know anything, you'll find that they have like a whole bunch of weird powers. Well, not just that. If you're, ta- if you're raising your kid into adept magic, then it's avatar, very hard for that magic. to not just turn into child abuse. Yes, that's true. I mean, avatar, any sort of mojo... If you're putting that onto a kid without them really understanding what the fuck's going on, it's going to screw them up. And it sounded like that's very likely what happened with this chick here. Yes, and she was being raised as a demagogue. Can you imagine what kind of childhood you'd have to have if your parents are deliberately oh, trying Christ. to raise you as a demagogue? But she got, she got tired of it. She wanted to leave. And she encountered Derek Jackson. And... Derek Jackson had learned mechanomancy from his uncle. He didn't know anything about the underground. And Janet Kumia had learned from her family. When they encountered each other, they were like, what the fuck? Your magic is completely different from mine. How does this make sense? And sometimes that causes a, like a fight. Fights often break out over differences in magic. But in this case, they sort of sat down and became friends or became allies and started to learn and they discovered that even though the magic was different they had similar goals they wanted to do good deeds using their magic to make the world a better place if you know what i mean and so they started to draw together different occultists and gutter wizards with this loose goal of doing good unto the world yeah yeah all right um this seems to be pretty consistent what i've heard about these guys thus far i didn't really know the history but so Enter Margaret Brandt. Now, she is the third uh, member of the early Mac attacks, like higher-ups. Um, she... Triumvirate. Exactly, triumvirate. And she was the one who kind of set their, the structure of how they were doing things into effect. Now, she was interesting because she combined the traditions of Western geomancy with um, Chinese feng shui. And she had developed an understanding of the ley lines or the dragon lines um, in the United States or North America and how they were built in with the U.S. highway system. The highway system that you know about ley lines is ley lines, the initial um, theory about ley lines uh, was by back in the 1920s, a British um, antiquarian, so not an archaeologist, just an antiquarian, uh, had a theory that certain ancient historical sites 
if you draw lines between them, those lines corresponded with ancient trade routes. Now, this wasn't accepted by the archaeological community, mainly because these lines were pretty arbitrary and they went through mountains and hills and there were just terrible, terrible ways to transport any trade goods. So, and I mean, ancient peoples were big on lines. You got the Nazca sure. lines. Like, you know, they were obviously a fan of lines, so I can definitely see where this guy's coming from. Well, that, yeah, that's it. That's why the archaeological community didn't accept it. But guess who did accept it? The Nazis, because of course they did. And then later, hippies. Because anything that Nazis and hippies both accept is probably fucked it's up. It's obviously true. It's obviously true. Uh, both accept. They have to both accept it. Not one or the other, both, okay? So is this lady uh, the one who sort of innovated the whole burgers and fries delivery system? Exactly. So they hatched a plan to infiltrate uh, the Golden Arches, uh, McDonald's, with a comedic conspiracy. They encountered this... They wanted to dump magical power into people's burgers. Uh, they used a ritual known as the Ritual of Lesser Correspondence, uh, which allows you to take a magical charge and implant it into some food item. Uh, it costs a charge to put a charge in there, so it's not the cheapest right. way to win. I was wondering. You can, that's something that people use to transfer charges between people. It's just not very efficient, um, as you can understand. Yeah, yeah. okay. Because, yeah, well, like, if you can just hand a charge off to someone, then that's a, that's a really big fucking deal. Yes, but it's expensive, and it's not worth it half the time. People have been using this uh, ritual of lesser correspondence in various ways over the centuries, but this is the, in the modern time, this is one of the most elaborate and organized um, conspiracies using this ritual. This was largely coordinated by Jackson through an online mailing list. Um, yeah. Very different times. Very different yeah. times. I miss the 90s. The internet was... It was worse. It was absolutely worse, but it had bits that were better. It was a very unique period where I think what it was is that you have a lot of very like-minded people coming together, but because it's all over the world, you have these like-minded people think that, no, this is just what everyone's like. And that sort of optimism that comes from finding someone that happens to be just like you, but not understanding that they're a minority. And then having huge flame wars over text in yeah. like 1989 over the dumbest thing. It's a beautiful world back then in some ways. You can still find that, but you got to look for it. Yes. And it's, it's just not the same. It's not a frontier anymore. But so you have all these web 1.0 occultists getting together. And so like this conspiracy, this wasn't like a higher up conspiracy among like McDonald's no, leadership, not or even yet. managers. It was, not yet. you know, the grease monkeys. Well, that is where we have the big change because it was definitely grease monkeys. Very ad hoc sort of conspiracy. Didn't know what they were doing. And then in 1996, uh, Janet Kumia was killed. Uh, someone turned her bones into spiders. Never a good way to go. Never a good way to go. Now, Margaret Brandt, she ghosts. She's just never seen again. She sees what happens to Kumia, and she goes. No one knows who did this to Kumia, by the way. Um, did Margaret ever get tracked down? Anyone know what ever happened to her? As far as I know, she is gone. Um, she so was she's just out of the picture. The two women that helped to form Macatex one ditched and the other got turned into spiders. Well, her bones did. So that just leaves the nerd, right? The nerd is left alone. Um, yeah, without any support, 
I mean, he, he but one good thing, one thing you could say for him is he didn't give up. He didn't just take for the hills. He tried to keep a handle on what had become Mac attacks and he tried to keep it together. And luckily, well, unlucky or, or luckily, depending on how you look at it, he encountered Erica Fisher. Now, Erica Fisher was a VP in the McDonald's distribution wing, right? She, she was high up there. She was corporate. She got mojoed by a special order uh, soon after she had a um, she had a skiing accident. She got mojoed by a special order, um, and she began to find that she started to have visions. She saw the people who worked for her in different ways. She saw her like um her secretary in like medieval robes and things she saw them as like the seneschal and the the high vizier and things she saw one of her colleagues um had a, like looked like it had a mask of a smiling mask on the front of his face and the back of his head he had like a, a fucked up evil mask and she looked into him and he was doing like insider trading, he was ripping off the company, so she fired him. So she was getting visions. This sounding a lot like someone getting woke to the statosphere. Was Absolutely. she an avatar? She was. She was an avatar of the true queen. Um, but yeah, like the true king, but the true queen is the same. Is the same archetype. And she, because she was becoming becoming woke to her status as the true queen, she learned of Mac attacks, and she joined it. And she started to reorganize, to kind of start to become more official. Um, now, she respected Derek Jackson. She respected what he did. But she came from a very corporate, middle management, well, upper management mindset. She wanted to organize this and make it more rational. Efficiency. All that type of shit. Efficiency and hierarchy. Because remember, she's a yep. true queen. Feudalism. Corporate feudalism. I mean, it's moving from like a nomadic band led by... Derek Jackson is the high chief, and she's coming in and trying to get people to feudalize a little bit. And colonizing Mac attacks. Yes, definitely colonizing Mac attacks. Now, this is a period of time where they were using the, the fucking mailing list they were using was Yahoo. That's how they were organizing oh, shit. So, wait, this was just out there? It was on Yahoo. Yeah, of course it was out there. Oh, Christ. Uh, okay. I mean, in a way, that makes a bit of sense because unless you're like really initiated with this shit, you have no way of telling the difference between just some random whack job and a charger. And really, there's not... The line there is pretty thin to begin with, so I can see why this... How the fuck did the sleepers get to these guys? They did. They did. They were, they, get how they, they, were fully, they were fully infiltrated by everyone except the Cecilites, because the Cecilites were just, like, tech-phobic. But what are these computer machines that we don't understand? Exactly, they're like books, but many of them. Thing is, there was some. The thing is, the signal to noise ratio, especially on the open list, which was on Yahoo. Oh God, Web 1.0 chargers on the internet. I'd imagine. So sleepers didn't think much of uh, Jackson's group at the time, but this changes. Um, and they had what they did have was a dedicated website, a Mac attacks website for an elite core. Uh, these are the people who had been read into the, the real conspiracy. They had their own chat room. Okay, what's the real conspiracy? Well, okay, this is... The real conspiracy is more along the lines of... Actually, they, they were all in on the conspiracy, to be honest. But not all the people on the open list were actually full max. Like, people came in and out. Oh, so they have different mailing lists. Yes, they had um, 
they had secret lists for different discussions. Um, they had. So it seems like a bit of hierarchy had already asserted itself, just kind of unofficial. Oh, absolutely. Um, there was a hierarchy. There was different groups. There was the Feng Vespucci group, which was trying to um, track patterns in the way that they were disputing magic and see what happened. There was um, there was the Shadow List, which is what everyone who was like in because Derek Jackson was in charge and everyone on the, ch the shadow list was also the, the high command, but no Derek Jackson. So that was the only list he wasn't on. That was like, um, what happens if he goes crazy or is killed, we're going to take over sort of thing. Uh, but this is kind of used. I think Erica Fisher was angling to take over hostile takeover, but she wasn't completely hostile because she did respect Derek Jackson's vision. He just thought that she could do it better. Okay. Yeah. So sounds about right for management. Yeah, there was there was there were so many like New Inquisition, Sleepers, Affinites, they were all in there. Uh, not that many, but the Sleepers they thought they were mostly harmless. The TNI thought that they were unprofessional. Uh they was all true. The Affinites are a bit more suspicious of them because they kinda were looking for like they had diff opposing goals in a way, different visions of the magical world in the future. So this is about what I remember. I remember, like, I, I remember them having a big web presence. I remember them just being kind of a bunch of burnouts trying to start the magical revolution one hamburger at a time. And around the Whisper Wars, when I lost track of them, I know they're still around in some way, but I don't really know what happened after all that shit went down in 03. To understand what happened, it's good to understand what the structure within Mac Attacks was like, or the different factions that existed at uh -huh. the time. Uh -huh. I'm talking about pre-2003 Mac Attacks, especially like late two, late 90s, early 2000s. Had the largest, most influential group was were the revolutionaries. These were the people who believed that a magical renaissance could be achieved in their lifetime. Uh, only. Yeah, the true believers. The pro their problem, of course, is that they were further divided to sub-factions um, who had different ideas of what that magical renaissance would look like. Because some believe that there's going to be a natural meritocratic hierarchy with mages on the top. So they thought, in the future, all the fucking normies are going to bow down to us as a matter of course. That's just the natural evolution of things if we get what we want. While others definitely didn't believe in that. They believe that mass dissemination of magic would lead to everyone developing their own magical ability, their own they're finding their own path in the magical world that would lead to a widespread uh, a widespread acceptance of difference and an anarcho-libertarian paradise. Um, so these guys were definitely more naive, but I kind of like them more than yeah, the uh, I mean I'm kind of I'm kind of with the former more, to be honest, because there's, I mean, th there's a reason why you don't wait the tiger. Say what you will about what the fuck we're doing right now, but usually you have to be in the know to even listen to this thing. People got to put in that effort themselves first. And the nice thing about Mac Attacks is they're giving people that first taste that sits them on the road. But there were to be a situation where the quote unquote, masquerade broke then yeah i think you'd end up in a situation where it was just a bunch of chargers running the show which is a bad thing because chargers are nut jobs i want to iterate reiterate that that is a bad thing but i do think that's about what would happen yeah. this is very re uh, reminiscent of um 
sort of like communist movements. Um, they all believed that one day there would be a perfect communist utopia. They disagreed on how to get there. Leninists would believe that there needs to be an elite conspiracy of people running the show to get everyone on the road to communism while your like Bakunin style uh, left anarchists would be like, that's not, that shit's not going to work. Uh, they, were, they were the same thing, but they, there were similarities in their tones and their mindsets between like the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comparing the back attacks conspiracy with early Russian communism. So then if that's the case, then who are the Prasadists among back attacks? Why it's it's always Posadists with you? They they rightfully understand that dolphins are the strongest potential comrades, as well as aliens. You cannot trust which, dolphins. You know, I disagree with that. We talked about this. I've had bad experiences. You have one bad experience with dolphins, and you just paint them with way too broad of a brush, man. That's pretty. I think that's pretty messed up on your end. That's pretty. Why you think you think that just because I have. One bad X, that means I hate dolphins. Fuck you, but don't trust dolphins. Let's get back to Mac Attacks here. All right, all right, all right. The next group. Yeah, next group. Next faction. Penitents. These were the guys who were full-time employees um, of uh, McDonald's. They were devoted to the Mac Attacks cause like monks. They were generally... They weren't the ones who were the noisiest on the mailing list. They weren't the ones with the, the hottest takes or the biggest opinions, but they were the ones on the ground getting shit done. They were the organizers. They were like the uh, community organizers, uh, people doing shit. So these are like the deep state of Mac attacks. Kind of, yes. They were generally older, more experienced. Um, if they had magic, they were better at magic. They had no more experience with magic. More likely, they were just more experienced in the fucking world. And they've been working at McDonald's for like decades, or some of them. Um, yeah, you see some shit after doing that for a while. Yes. So these guys... Regardless if you're involved with any occult conspiracy. Without these guys, they were quiet and in the background most of the time, but without these guys... And the ones keeping things running. Yes. Without them, it wouldn't have worked. It would have just been a bunch of fucking young Gen X kids like whining on the internet. It wouldn't have worked. The last are the worst. They're the wannabes. Uh, basically, dill dilettantes with free time and money, tagging along, getting a job at McDonald's, trolls on the mailing list. This is like a pre-4chan 4chan kind of thing. Um, they were... Yeah, griefers, 4chaners, they were trolls. They quickly lost interest or they became disruptive. Um, occasionally, they needed to be personally dealt with if they were bad. They were a, often a problem, but you didn't know who was who. Like people, they always needed new blood, and there was these wannabes came in. Some of these wannabes transitioned into becoming revolutionaries or penitents, but for the most part, they just drifted off. That's also a problem because some of these wannabes went off with knowledge and we don't know what happened with a lot of them um they went off into the world especially if you've got some rich tr trust fund kid decides to work at mcdonald's for a lark learns about this magical conspiracy gets disillusioned it's not good enough for him or her and then just leaves but they found some ritual they found some magical knowledge that probably caused a lot of chaos but we're not talking about that right now but ex mac attacks employees from like way back in the day who are bitter about it maybe could be a good character concept if you know what i mean yeah yeah i get you i mean it sounds like the main thing protecting these guys from just having everything blow up in their face was just how low the signal to noise ratio was for most of their existence sure absolutely like they, they had all kinds of theories like 
pretty much everything that was right got to like brought up at some point, like the invisible clergy um, talks. There were talks about like the rooms of renunciation. People talked about everything, but every time something true got brought up, ten people would be like, "That's that's shit. That's not true," and yeah, give their own yeah. theories. Um, like it's great if you can find a copy. Like those, the, the mailing list. They had a rule that every time you got a new message, you should delete it. Obviously, plenty of people did not. There are archives. Going through that mailing list is a great way to get a whole bunch of information, outdated information, but information. Is it still up? Is it still like no, no, okay, okay, yeah. You can find torrents. You can find it. I found it on the dark web. Uh, okay. they, they go up and down. The sleepers try to knock it down. Other Macs try to knock it down. People put out fake ones. People put traps in it. So you open up the raw file, and a fucking snake comes out of your computer. It's there's lots of things that they'll do, but it's still out there. Uh, it shouldn't. It wasn't meant to be, but a full archive. I'm not sure. A lot of them are partial archives. Yeah, it just seems like the kind of thing that's so transitory anyway that something like that probably doesn't even exist. You're gonna have to spend so much time. Like this is these are years and years of like daily messages. If you want to find something useful, you have to go through there with a fine tooth comb, and it's sometimes it's not even worth it. Yeah, it sounds like there's just so much bullshit on there that what few grains of truth you do find or there's just far more time efficient ways of discovering that same information elsewhere exactly now what happened in the year 2000 do you remember no oh, um, new years new years yeah i remember that that was their big thing that was their big thing they did that um they did that some big old ritual that prevented y2k from happening or something right Yes, the sort of um, the safe and happy New Year project uh, was initiated on midnight of, well, the first moment of the twenty first century. Not technically, but really, the year two thousand um, for twenty first century. They performed an international ritual, the ritual of light, to protect. Uh, the world. Um, in doing so, they prevented dozens of terrorist attacks that had been planned um, to coincide with the millennium. And they may, they may indeed have killed the Y2K bug uh, because that was a big thing that never happened. Uh, and I think the Ritual of Light is a big part of why the Y2K bug didn't eat us all. And that's why we are, are we. That's why we're able to put this radio program onto the internet for everyone to enjoy, and not just for people within range of a transmitter in Jacksonville. Yeah, that's a fair point. So, if there's any uh, old school attackers listening here. Thanks, guys. You did a solid there, at least. Now, what happened the next year? 9-11. And yeah. that took a lot of the wind out of their sails. Tower uh, fell. Tower fell. That is a big problem because that really sunk their optimism. But Because for there was a period of like a year where they thought... I mean, that's a huge thing. It's sort of like when the U.S. won the Cold War. Like, it was like a short period of just complete optimism and, yay, everything's good. Like, uh, that period sort of coincides with, like, uh, the, like okay, it's not, not coincides, but to me it feels like after ha Safe and Happy New Year, the back attacks was on its, like, its own little personal dot-com bubble in terms of the way they were looking at the world. 9-11 happened, didn't see it coming. The Feng's Vespucci lifts was supposed to predict this sort of thing, had no idea, and then they were sort of heartbroken 
about the fact that they couldn't have prevented that happening. But you can't prevent everything, you know? Um, yeah, people's got free will. And that's one of the big problems about like when a group like this does something really good and prevents shit from happening. No one fucking knows what has been prevented from happening. Because it hasn't happened. Because you prevented it. But then most people don't know you did that. But the people, people like Alex Abel, that he knew what they'd done on the Safe and Happy New Year project because he was tracking this shit and he realized he thought there was something real bad was happening in 2000. Didn't happen. Realized it was back attacks. He got some respect. The uh, Affinites had some respect. A lot of people had respect for them. But you know who did not have respect for them? The true order of St. Germain. Those fucking militia crazies, right? They thought that the Max... Hey man, I, uh, I, I, I may or may not have associates that were at one point in that group, so... Uh, they're all right. Some of them are all right. I would have. Yeah. Not... Yeah. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah. Some of them are violent nut jobs. Yes. Um, they believed that Mac attacks. They they learned that Mac attacks. Uh, Randy Douglas, who was the leader at the time, he was he was trying to do all these different terrorist attacks on two thousand, um, and they all failed, and he was cleaning house, looking through the what he knew about it, and he discovered that each one of his operatives who fucked up and made a stupid mistake had eaten at the Golden Arches before they fucked up. And then he tracked it down. He's like, wait a minute, what's going on? Holy shit. There is a globalist Illuminati mind control conspiracy in the middle of McDonald's. Um, that's what they thought. So they went after Mac attacks hard. And the thing about the true order of St. Germain is that they were very mundane, highly armed, completely insane, but they were insane without magic. So they just fucking, they were like the QAnon of their time. They were just fucking LARPers, but like real committed to it. And they killed a bunch of Macs. Then for no fucking reason, the new inquisition jumps in. So when is this happening, by the way, for reference, is this after 9-11? It's about 2003, uh, the start of the Whisper War. Okay. This is how, okay. This is what kicked off the Whisper War, because the well, they call themselves the Global Liberation Society or the True Order of Saint Germain. Who gives a shit? They hit the max. These unsuspecting fucking kids hit them hard, killed a whole bunch of them. Then the New Inquisition, for no fucking reason, jumps in to kick them when they're down. Sleepers go in to do uh, damage control. It's a mess, and the mailing list and the website gets shut down. Derek Jackson goes on the run. Now, Derek Jackson had gone into contact. He had become associated with a sleeper honeypot agent named Colleen Dwyer. Have you heard of her? I have not. She was a sleeper agent. Um, Her husband, I believe, was a police officer who had been killed by an adept. So she hated adepts. Um, But they had implanted her to sort of accidentally bump into Derek Jackson and then accidentally enter like allow him to bumblingly ask her out um and do that sort of thing Uh, is that what uh, is so wait are you telling me that is this after the whisper war it's just before just before oh the whisper war was set off by some nerd fumblingly asking out no 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 no. this this happened the same okay what happened was the colin dwyer met Derek jackson well, she was named Colin Dwyer. She had a different... Was that a real name? Anyway, she met him. She was meant to, you know, woo him and allow him to, like, badly, fumblingly ask her out. The problem is she made a 
very big mistake. And you know what that mistake was? What? She started to fall for him because he was an innocent, well-meaning guy, right? And then just as they were like going through the, the early relationship stage, fucking the true, true order of Saint Germain goes after him. She protects him. She reveals that she's a sleeper, but she says that she's going to protect him. She's not going to try to kill him or look after him. She's going to protect him. And she was true to her word, I believe, because he and her, they both fucked off. Um, there are different theories about what happened to him. Some say he just got killed. It's the easiest way. Some say he fled the country. Some say he fl- joined the sleepers because there is an individual who attend sleeper meetings claiming to be Derek Jackson, but that could be bullshit because sleepers can make clones, sleepers can make simulcrums, they can do all kinds of things. That could be a fake Derek Jackson easily. Um, my favorite theory is that due to all the fucking magical whisper war bullshit flying around, he got Bill Toged, and there's like three or four at Derek Jackson's running around out there. Maybe one of them's dead and he's a demon. Um, that's just my theory. It would be pretty funny. But He's a mechanomancer, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, couldn't he have just made another one of himself or... Absolutely. Put himself into something? No, about putting himself into something. Good for thought. For sure. Um, so that's... So this other... What's going on with this other chick, then? Oh. Is, is she still around? Yes, but she has joined one of the four major schismatic groups. Now, the four major schismatic groups are the king, the clown... The Colonel and the Mermaid. Uh, the fourth one is a misnomer, but we'll get into that later. All right. All right. So they've split up into different factions um, with different... So as you can understand, as you can probably guess, um, Erica, the, the Erica Fisher, she jumped ship and she went to work for Burger King. That is the clown... No, no, that's the, that is the king. Clown are the traditionalists. They're the... Um, they call themselves the Scottish Rite. They maintained the for the right most part. And what's spelling here? Like are they right way? Okay, okay. They are, they maintain the for the most part, they maintain the original goals of Mac Attacks. Then we have the Colonel in KFC and the Mermaid at, at Starbucks. There are other groups as well. Uh, because the ideals and techniques of Mac Attacks can be applied and subverted in many different ways. But I want to discuss the main four first. I might talk about one of the small ones uh early but i would like to talk which one do you want to hear about first all right all right this is honestly a lot to take in so i think we should take a color for a sec and you know give me a chance to think this over sound good sounds wonderful all right we'll be right back listeners stay tuned So I wake up in the middle of the night and there's a weight on my chest and it's like a crushing weight and I I can't move and I can't scream, but I can smell it. Oh, fuck, it smells. It's just this pungent sickness. Ugh. And I can feel the heat. It's, it makes me sweat. And, and it's a Taco Bell Crunchwrap Supreme. And I wake up in the morning and I find grease and fire sauce on my pajama shirt. It's so disgusting. And it's getting closer to my mouth. And I don't want it. I don't want it. It's always so disappointing. And we're back. Now we're getting into the real nitty-gritty of it. The various theories and 
revelations, the exposés that I've discovered of what has happened since the Whisper War. But let's go into first. Yeah, what are your sources here, Torsen? All kinds of places. Um, are you at liberty to discuss them? One of them was actually a cheeseburger. But okay. he has he has requested That's anonymity. No, I understand. Well, that's the closest to the source, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I managed to go around. Get, I ate a lot of McDonald's, I told you. Need to get those special charges. Need to. Because that was it. I had to walk around, go into there, order McDonald's. Try to. I did lots of different things. I ordered the You had to do that base menu. several times, right? More than several times. I had to order from the normal menu. I had to order from the secret menu. I had to get the breakfast. I had to add the. I had to get the breakfast and the. the well, they have all day breakfast now, right? So yeah, I got the yeah. breakfast meals. I was all over the place. I was just waiting, and then I sort of had to track when I felt, you know, that rush. Uh, when I felt like I had a charge in me, see if I got some unnatural phenomenon. Sometimes it was false alarms. Sometimes it was just gas. Um, but sometimes it was magic. Then I would track it back to the source and try to question some people. I got thrown out of a few McDonald's, um, but I did also get some real information. All right. So we're on McDonald's. Send them the clowns. Yeah, what what happened with that part of Mac attacks? Well, they were in the early stages of the bank of the uh, Whisper War. They were very much in a defensive mode. They were hiding. Some people left. A lot of the wannabes left. Um, a lot of people went to ground. Uh, a lot of people left temporarily and got their jobs back. It was chaotic. The two figures that are most important for the clown are Paul. Uh, Borowski, Paul Borowski and Monica Barbary, in my opinion. They, Paul Borowski was the guy. He was um, he was kind of like the quiet one. Um, you know how they used to, like, uh, the Roman Empire, there was like Caesar, Pompey, and Lepidus. He was kind of like the Lepidus. He was like quiet in the background. He was a tragic figure whose family had died, and he had learned how to create a proxy between individuals and the rabbits that he raised. And he would look after the rabbits, care for the rabbits, and that caring, that love would transfer over to the people that he'd proxied with. And also those rabbits acted as a magical protection for the people that he loved, the people that he cared about. So he was a nice guy, but he was also in Florida, uh, but he was a nice guy. I mean, that sounds adorable, but he was in Florida, so I assume something terrible has happened to him. I believe he survived. Um, oh, I believe God. he went to ground. Uh, but he's old as fuck now. He was already old. He's definitely like in his, he's like in his 80s or something now. Who's probably in charge is a woman named Monica Barbary. She was, she was the main Mac in the franchise location, located at uh, Grand Central Station in New York. As you know, New York is mostly a magical wasteland. But she was yeah. able to hold things together there. Um, she, at the time, she wasn't high up, but I found that she's moved her way up in the ranks, and she's much more important in the modern Mac attack. She's helping to organize things. Like she's, she's organizational in the same way that Erica Fisher is, but she's less corporate. She's more cares about the the whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, do all these different groups still call themselves Mac attacks? Often, they often all that not always, but they often all call themselves Mac attacks, even if they're no longer working at McDonald's. But these are the okay. ones who, in my opinion, are the true heirs of Mac attacks uh, because okay. they continue well, to work. We're going to be getting a lot of hate mail about that, I'm guessing. Uh, well, I'm not worried about the hate mail, I'm worried about the hate curses. 
You so it seems like the the clown, as you're calling this uh, sect, I suppose, um, has basically kept to the way things always kind of were. Maybe with less emphasis on that mailing list, though. I'd assume they. Ha- I hope they have more secure means of communication nowadays. I yeah, I think it's more hands on. I think it's more uh, word of mouth. Uh, I think it's less. Um, spread out. I think the the clown, because the cl- the Mac attacks back in the day, they had spread all over the world. I don't believe that the modern Mac attacks has the same spread that it used to. I think it's mostly based in the United States. Um, I believe that they have moved up into corporate a little bit, but only in one way. Um, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But first... I want to talk about the Whisper War. A couple of things happened during the Whisper War um, that t- trying to take um, Mac attacks down a peg. Uh, Super Size Me was released in 2004. I believe it was funded by Alex Abel um, for the purposes of weakening Mac attacks. I had by this time um, the group always started to split into the various yes. different. Okay, so only he only ended up targeting one of them really, at least directly. Well, yeah, but at the time, it hadn't fully split yet. It was chaos. Okay, um, okay. So Alex Abel was just trying to crush him underneath his heel while they were weak. Exactly. During this period, 2003, McDonald's Land characters were phased out. I believe this represents the possible destruction of an other space, um, the eponymous McDonald Land. Um, I think that might have been hit hard by either the Sleepers or TNI. They didn't come back for like years, but for a whole period of time, it was just Ronald McDonald holding things down in terms of the symbology front. Now, there was a song, a prophecy that was released that I think is very relevant to what happened during the Whisper War. But to get an understanding of why I've come to this conclusion, we have to talk about um, a psychologist named Louis Cheskin. Uh, in the 1960s, Lewis Cheskin was hired by McDonald's to develop a logo, the logo for McDonald's, right? Now, he was a design consultant and a psychology, who was su- a psychologist who was really into Freudian sort of things, right? All right, yeah. The, the golden arches are designed to send a subliminal message. They are Mother McDonald's breasts. All right. That they would bring in customers. And it worked. It worked. Mother McDonald's breasts have attracted many a suckling babe over the years, over the decades. So you're telling me that every time I get a McFlurry, I'm actually suckling from Ronald McDonald's teats? Quite possibly, yes. Nice. Now, the Whisper War, the events of the Whisper War were predicted in 2000. This is possibly um, afterflow from the Safe and Happy New Year project. And I'm talking specifically of the song I'm Sorry, Miss Jackson by Outcast. All right. You're, you're going to need to explain yourself further here, Torm. All right. How I, what I believe here is it starts off. The song starts with this. Yeah, this one here goes out to all the baby mamas, 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 baby mamas, mamas. Yeah, go like this. Who are the mamas? McDonald's franchises. Mother right. McDonald's breasts. Okay, so that All was right. the key to show that this song was directed towards McDonald's and to Mac attacks, right? Now it says, "I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. I am for real. Never meant to make your daughter cry. I apologize a trillion times. I believe that Colleen Dwyer and Derek Jackson had a child, and she was born during the Whisper War." Interesting. So this is a sort of a 
Mac Attacks Messiah that has been being possibly, kept under possibly. wraps, under burger wraps. Quite possibly. Listen to these lyrics. My baby's drama mama don't like me. She'd be doing things like having them boys come from a neighborhood. Who are them boys? True Order of St. Germain. T and I. Everyone, right? Yeah. To the studio trying to fight me, I need a piece of the American pie and take a bite out. American pie, apple pie. That's my house. I'll disconnect the cable and turn the lights out. He shut down the mailing list. Fuck. You see? See? Oh, yeah, this is all coming together, man. So how is, uh, where does Andre 3000 fit into this? Well, I don't know. I was wondering whether or not, because we do know there is some occult significance to various songs from Outcast. Hey Ya is believed by some to be the song that ends the world. Um, many go through the Outcast discography looking for pearls of wisdom. At the time, I believed that, not at the time, but for a while, I believed that possibly Andre 2000 and Big Boy might have been linked to the true order of St. Germain, um, which is generally considered to be a very like rural white conspiracy, but people forget the ideological overlap between uh, like urban communities, which are often more people of color, and the yeah. rural communities. So like, in terms of like conspiracy theory stuff, there's a lot yeah, of interaction. Black Israelites, that type of that thing. That sort of thing. Yes. Now, we know that Big Boy has or had libertarian views, voted for Gary Johnson in 2012. Yeah. Uh, that li links him with at least some of the true order of St. Germain. Puts him in the same ideological sphere. Andre 3000 was a vegan for 15 years, which might have linked towards ill feelings towards McDonald's. But from looking into it further, I kind of think that this was an unconscious prophecy. Uh, I would not at all be surprised. And in fact, I've heard some very convincing arguments for the idea that uh, Andre 3000 has Latin psychic abilities and is actually a prophet. For sure. For sure. Um, so I would recommend that everyone goes out and listens to a lot of Outcast and tries to weed your way through it and find prophecies. There are some prophecies that maybe haven't come true yet. We don't know. I mean, that would make sense of the name, right? Year 3000, looking towards the future. Can't be, exactly. can't be a coincidence. Exactly. Okay, so there's some possibly, possibly, allegedly, some sort of uh, McDonald's Messiah out there. That his, Quite possibly. I, I assume, is being being put through training at the moment. I don't know whether it's the thing is. It depends on what happened to Derek Jackson. If that true, if that Derek Jackson who goes to sleeper meetings uh, is Derek Jackson, that means the child might be in under the control of the sleepers, which right. could be bad, could be good, could be protection. I kind of believe that probably the child is under the control of Mac attacks. Um, maybe living out on that rabbit farm, maybe being looked out looked after by Paul Borowski, possibly. Hmm. Hmm. No, that, that does make a lot of sense. So you well, you were mentioning something earlier about uh, the lack of Mac attacksers in the higher-up positions at McDonald's, except for one case. Uh, I'm talking of Hamburger University. That is the training facility where, like, if you are a good enough manager for McDonald's, they will send you to Hamburger University to get a degree in hamburgerology, correct? Exactly. Very competitive. Exactly. From what, very competitive field from what I've heard. Um, it's It got a reputation of being competitive um, because a bunch of news articles got released about the Shanghai branch of Hamburger University, which has a 1% acceptance rate, which is more selective than Harvard, which has a 7% acceptance rate. But the original, the American one, is not quite so 
difficult to get into. Um, you basically just need to be either in management or on track for management. Um, they'll run you through hamburg hamburgerology scenarios. So basically, you go in there, they run through through a bunch of different scenarios of what could happen. Now, what this is, I believe that Monica Barbary works there now. She's aged out. Now she's tra training there because that's the perfect place to train for various scenarios so maybe okay what are, what happens if we if the ice cream machine is broken just tell them it's broken what happens if there's oil everywhere clean it up what happens if fucking some crazy militia militia members attack with pipe bombs we know how to deal with that they run scenarios right they have special classes they will screen the students so are these like mcdonald's all own like war games is that what's going on here that's what i believe is happening yes okay okay uh, now hamburg university it's pretty old. Founded in 1961. It used to be based in Oakland. Now, well, okay, it was based in Auckland. It was founded by a man named Fred Turner. He was the first McDonald's grill cook. He became the CEO. Uh, the earliest courses there were taught by Ray Kroc. Uh, so that was a very old and storied institution in Oakland. But in 2018... Ray Kroc was the guy that got the rights to McDonald's and turned it from a good little diner into the international business it is now. I, don't, I can't believe you don't know who Ray Kroc is. Ray Kroc is very important, but he's before Mac Attacks' time, so it doesn't really matter. It's just the residence from him. That... They moved to Chicago in 2018. Chicago is, of course, the center of the U.S. in, in mystical terms. Guess where they moved? I don't know where. They moved to Harpo Studios. Harpo Studios is Oprah's, Oprah Winfrey's uh, production Oh, no. Studio. Oh, God. Yes. No. Yes. All right. So that's already Oprah's a Oprah's in on this? God fucking damn it. Oh, I don't okay. think... Oprah, How does I don't Oprah think... fit into this? Okay. I can tell you that now. All right now. Okay. Because first we have to talk about the building itself. Harpo Studios was there for like a few decades producing movies, producing radio programs, like pushing the Oprah brand. Oprah is insanely important. She's tapped into that sort of female boomer cosmic energy market that few people pay attention to. Everyone always cares about the kids, but these boomers, there's so many of them and their attention is invaluable, right? Yeah. Um, and Oprah can tap into a huge amount of that. And I don't think she knows that. I don't think she's in, she's woke at all in terms of the occult underground, but I think she... I've heard otherwise. I've heard tales of the secret wars between Oprah Winfrey and Joe Rogan that are going on behind the scenes, but that could, that only could be rumors. A thing. That might be a thing. I may be wrong, but that's separate from this. Now, this building, the land on which Harpo Studios and now Hamburg University is built, once housed the Second Regiment Armory. This armory was used as a makeshift morgue for victims of the capsizing of the SS Eastland. This was a vessel that uh, capsized at port in 1915. 844 passengers and crews were killed. It was the largest loss of life in a single shipwreck on the Great Lakes. And for years in Harpo Studios, there have been reports of ghosts. For years. And that's where Hamburg University is. Holy fucking shit. Okay, I think I've lost you here. What does this mean? It means it's full of ghosts. Okay, but what is McDonald's doing with the ghost? What is Mac Attacks well, doing with the ghost? We do know that the that Mac Attacks, um, a Mac Attacks agent in the UK, bought a property in Guernsey in 2003, looking to 
get ghosts. I think that this program has advanced. I think that they might be using demons um, in learning more rituals and things like that. But could um, they be using burgers as an avenue for demonic possession? Possibly, possibly. What about Dead Max? What about Dead Max? We know you can't trust demons, but what if they're using Dead Max? What if a, what if a Mac becomes a demon and the demon's drive is to continue to further the Mac cause, even though they're sociopaths, sociopathic spirits, sociopathic spirit with his heart in the right place. Well, it's still going to fuck shit up, but they might be convinced to use it, right? So this could play. What, what if Derek is dead? But he's still running this part of Mac attacks. What if it's what if I what if I, my idea of Bill Toging him is right, and that's one of the Derek's that's out there. He's a demon. Jesus. Um, I believe though, that is actually a cool idea. Like he he's partially involved. Maybe he's possessed a professor there. But I believe that Monica Barber is working there, and I think that she is in charge of the training programs. Uh, I believe that being at Harpo Studios is important for her symbolically, uh, because like Oprah Winfrey, she is an older black woman in a position of power. Very different personality, doesn't look anything like, but it fits the demographic and you can draw magical power from that. What I think that she could be doing, and this is a crazy theory, is... She's a Cleomancer, right? She derives magic from historical sites. I don't think that Harpo Studios is powerful enough to be a, to be a site in and of itself. Um, but it's it was called Harpo Studios. Harpo is Oprah backwards. This is basic anagram Gematreya, right? What yeah, I think yeah. Monica Barbary might be doing is if she could create some kind of person-to-place proxy relationship between Oprah Winfrey and the land where Harpo Studios was, she might be able to draw charges from Oprah Winfrey herself. That could be huge. Oprah's certainly channeling some archetype, probably the true queen. So this would be a way for Mac attacks to draw the leadership powers that come from that archetype while maintaining their independence. Yes, exactly. So yeah, that's that's the center, I believe, of that's where they run their, their war games, the scenarios, that's where they study and summon demons. Uh, I believe that they have gotten a bunch of... Is this of... where the Ronalds come from? Is this where they MKUltra people into being Ronald? Quite possibly, yes. Quite possibly, the back room, yes. I mean, I figure there's far. There, I can think of a few worse fates than flunking out of Hamburger University. So, no, you Probably don't do something want to do with that. that. No, no. Now they, they are putting a lot of their. I I believe that they're putting all their energy into Hamburger University, all their energy into getting as much power as they can because their enemy, their rival, is quite powerful. Erica Fisher is no longer involved. She's gone to Burger King. And this okay. is... Starting your own kingdom. Yes. Um, now, Erica Fisher's always her way of doing things was she believed that charges should be distributed from the source, right? She should, like, where they make the hamburgers, um, before they're distributed to different franchise locations, you put the charges in, which means that she has to be using a different form of the Ritual of Lesser Correspondence because the Ritual of Lesser Correspondence that they used, um, you needed the cooking. Cooking was part of it. You need the smell of the kitchen or else the ritual wouldn't work. So she must be using something else, maybe the blood of the 
or something. I don't know. So yeah, it has to have developed a version of the ritual that works in factories and works in the main distribution hubs, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, the main... I was looking into this. I'm like, okay, she starts from the distribution hub. So who's the distributor for Burger King? And I discovered that since the year 2000, it has been McLean Food Service. Oh, what's up with these McLean guys? They are huge. They are based in Temple, Texas. They are an American wholesale supply chain. They are the only like supply chain which supplies every county in the U.S. every day. They supply convenience stores, discount retailers, wholesale clubs, drugstores, military bases, quick service restaurants, casual dining. They're everywhere. They serve 49,000 retail locations, 36,500 train restaurants, um, and 24,900 retail locations um, for beverages, for alcohol. Um, they grew... They are from... They were founded in 1894. They're a storied company. These one of these companies that's really powerful and really influential, but you never heard of them. So it started in 2000. Is it possible that she was already on her way out or at least setting up a contingency? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Uh, I think she did. Yeah, she wanted to set up the contingency plan because she must have moved from, because her original plan was in distribution for McDonald's. Now she's moved to McLean, doing it for Burger King. McLean does Walmart, Sam's Greens, and it also does... So, 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 what did I say, Sam Green? Sam's Club, uh, 7-Eleven, Exxon Mobile, Target Stores. The um, They also do the fucking Army and Air Force Exchange Service. They supply for them. So they're in the military. They're in the deep state now. But more than the military, more powerful, more influential than the military is the Yum Brands concept restaurants. You've got Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, Long John Silver's, Son... Uh, no, no. They also supply Sonic, Buffalo Wild Wings, and Applebee. So there's not white yum brands. But the main yum brand that I want to look at later is the fact that they also supply KFC. So this whole thing with the fucking king and the colonel, it's a fucking farce. All right. All right. And I'll tell you, I tell you how they're doing it. They're fucking this up um, with the colonel. The colonel is not who, he, who you think he is. He's not the kind of colonel you think he is. What kind of colonel is he? So, like, I, I mean, I see a king. Well, we'll get into, we'll get into that. Um, now, this company, McLean, uh, the McLean Company, this distribution hub, which is where Eric Fisher is distributing the charges, it used to be owned by Walmart. Now it's owned by Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren Buffett's company. So I believe oh, that Erica Fisher could be moving up into that realm of things. If she just moves away up from Burger King to McLean, to Berkshire Hathaway, she is developing, she's growing more and more powers. And once she gets into Berkshire Hathaway, they run a whole bunch of companies. She could be putting charges everywhere. You're telling me that Erica Fisher is using this Burger King operation as a staging ground for just spreading charges anywhere she can put them. Yes, but for the goal of becoming the true queen. Um, okay, she so she's just goal. doing... Uh, how does that happen? How does spreading charges to the general populace allow her to become the true queen? Well, it is, uh, in my way, I think she's trying to create a kind of feudalistic system. She's using the noblesse uh, and oblige. Um, if she's being able to send charges specifically to different locations to the distribution system, this can be sort of like, like back in the day, um, Imperial China 
they had different tributary states. The tributary states would send gifts, and the Emperor of China would send back even better gifts. This was a way to keep all like Vietnam and Korea, all these countries like within the Chinese sphere. And you can see the same thing happened with uh, like Romans and their client states and things like that. What I think she's trying to do is that she's trying to keep her clients happy, sending them to magic charges uh, to recognize her authority. And this is pushing her further and further, increasing her powers as the true queen, or as some call her the true executive. Okay. And yeah, that'd be a huge change to the archetype. Damn. Um, okay. So what is up with the colonel then? Oh, I got more. I got more. I got more. Okay. Okay. First thing, because the colonel is a whole new, as a jumping ground. But first with Erica Fisher, I want to talk about her strengths and weaknesses. The strength is that she's very super cagey, super careful. She's, she knows what she's doing, but she's messing around with the stratosphere and that's going to fuck you up. One thing I think is a problem with this central distribution scheme that she's got going is that she becomes a target for banditry and attacks. If you want to steal some charges, you just work out what truck is leaving what distribution hub. You just hit the truck, ambush the truck, get the burgers, you got the charges. And do you think that perhaps the old school Mac attackers could be getting involved with this perhaps? Quite possibly, or at least... Um, Sending information if they've got double agents, it could be double agents. Um, send information to maybe other groups, um, perhaps less noble groups. They could be hitting charges, they could be doing it directly or doing it through proxy groups. Well, then it sounds like the appropriate thing for Erica to do would be to send out her knights. Yep, for sure. So, who are her knights then? I would say that they're probably people who have taken charges directly from Erica, um, in a kind of like you know, like they're putting the she probably puts the burger on each of their shoulders and they put it in their mouth, you know, like in a sort of knighthood ritual. Um, probably, yep. They're probably corporate. They're probably corporate investigators. Uh, they're probably, some of them are probably channeling um, like an archetype like the knight, the warrior, or things like that. Uh, these guys, that, that actually kind of reminds me, they probably ap- operate similar to how TNI used to operate in a way. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of parallels there. I mean, it's, a lot more unofficial, but really, you see this structure uh, assert itself a lot. Anytime you're dealing with someone that has access to a lot of mojo, that can dole it out as they wish. Like anyone who wanted to run a campaign, quote unquote, with Burger King, with the Burger King, with the the King, uh, would be working within this hierarchical system. It could be kind of like, I could imagine a campaign being a parallel to how people run Delta Green campaigns, where people start off working for the program and then they realize the program is fucked up and end up working for the outlaws. In this, it's like you start off working inducted into the Burger King uh, version of Mac Attacks and then after a while you realize, oh wait, they're just like an evil corporate feudalist system we are going over to the Scottish right. See, I'm imagining something like they get involved with this and they realize that uh, their whole, all of their efforts are eerily paralleling the, the Knights of the Round Table. That would be, that's cool. The Knights of the, the Knights of the Boardroom Table. I think that's, there was like a law firm that had that stick, but so what is left with Burger King here then? Or as it seems to be coming, Burger Queen? There is Burger Queen, yes. Um, there are two things to worry about here. Um, a few things, actually. Mae Rogers. Um, have you heard of her? 
I have not. Uh, all of this shit is new to me. Everything after a three. She was. Um, she used to be Macatex. She was this um, very bubbly, sort of hippie esque um, vegetarian uh, Mac oh. who okay. believed that she could actually project herself to different worlds, um, to like the civilizations on Sirius and the like the valleys of Mars and stuff, but she couldn't actually do that. What she was doing, she was actually projecting to previous versions of the universe, um, which meant that she had access. Wait, wait, what? Yes, she could. She could travel astrally back to. Dude, are you sure you really want to bring this up here? Yeah, it's it's, it's the thing is that uh, people didn't know about that. People know it now. It's out there now because she's protected. Right, At the time, right, people right. didn't know very well. Um, but the thing is, wh what with that power, you could use that power to basically create rituals ad hoc, like whatever you want, because rituals will work on the frisian between how our universe works and how the previous universe worked. Previous universes. Allegedly. 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 Okay. I believe yeah, that Erica yeah. Fisher has control of her. I believe that Erica Fisher is using her to create rituals i believe that that's why burger king is extremely powerful i believe that the impossible burger is a result of her influence i think that may rogers wants to shift burger king over to a full vegetarian uh fake meat mode i think that this is going to cause possibly another resurgence of something similar to the true order of saint germain because you're already seeing in conservative circles people talking about how the like vegetarian burgers the impossible burger is a plot to remove like to make uh to remove masculinity and make and like you know, yeah yeah all the sort yeah, of shit all, all that sort of shit. shit but it could be used against burger king like that sort of be like the i mean that's that could be something that comes up later which to be fair well not to be fair but you do have the burger queen and appears to be the burger princess run the show here i could very easily see some chargers interpreting this whole thing as an attack on masculinity itself. Exactly. Um, but that is something that they're using and something that can be used against them. Now, what Burger King has been doing, what the Burger King uh, Mac Attacks branch has been doing has been co-opting and destroying other scions of the Mac Attacks conspiracy. Um, we will talk about how they have co-opted KFC, but first I want to talk about something that they've destroyed. Um, Tim Hortons, the Mac Attacks Tim Hortons uh, group. Um, I believe that they existed uh, after the Whisper War. I believe that the Macs in Canada, because Canada had the largest number of Macs outside of the United States, because for obvious reasons. Um, so you said that now it's mostly a US phenomenon, right? Yes, but the Tim All Hortons, right. um, because at the time, up in Canada, they were being hit by the sleepers. They were being hit by everything up there. The mailing list was down. They cut ties with the US Mac attacks because the ties were already cut. And I believe most of them jumped ship from McDonald's and went to Tim Hortons because that was the most logical place to go for protection for Canadians. Um, if you look at Tim Hortons, uh, what does it mean? Tim Horton was a played defense in Canadian ice hockey back in the day. But if you look at his name, Tim Hortons. Tim comes from Timothy, which comes from the Greek Timotheos, which means honoring God. So you could say that Tim by itself is just honoring. Horton is an Anglo-Saxon name, deriving from the common English place name Horton, which derives from the Old English horu, meaning dirt, and tun, meaning settlement, farm, or estate. So it basically meant farm on muddy, the farm on muddy soil. Canada 
originates from a St. Lawrence Iroquoian word, Kanata or Canada, meaning settlement, village, or land. So if you look at the words Tim Horton, you could say it means honoring the land of Canada. So that's why they went there. So was this like a nationalist circle of... I believe it was mostly protection. I think it was mostly protection, but okay. eventually... Okay. The thing is, there is a contradiction, I feel, in the ideals of magical renaissance, which I believe that Max up in Canada wanted were all in on, and then the idea of control of the dragon lines of the United States um, interstate highway system, because it doesn't make sense to just control the ley lines, the dragon lines in the United States, right? These lines do not give a shit about geopolitical borders. Those magical lines of resonance, they go across across the border up into Canada. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure about that. I have heard stories about ley lines realigning themselves as borders are drawn. Sure. Though it tends to be more borders following the ley line than the other way around. Yes, but I believe, like, look at the, it's just a line going across the US for most for the most part. There's definitely ley lines going across there. For, so for anyone who wants to control the all of North America, you need to get control of Canada. And I think that slowly over time, the Max up in Canada realized, holy shit, these Americans are going to come in and take over all our fucking magical ley lines. And that was okay back in the day when Derek Jackson was in charge because they had an idea of a magical renaissance. And this is back in the time when people thought that NAFTA was still a good idea. So people were able to accept it. But now with people like Erica Fisher in charge and the Scottish right relatively quiet, I think that the time, Tim Horton's group, um, they, they instituted a plan based on defense scheme number one. Now, defense scheme number one was a a counterpart to War Plan Red, uh, which was the U.S. In, uh, plans to invade the British Empire. But can, Defense Scheme Number 1 was developed by James Buster Sutherland Brown in 1921, uh, which was the plan of what to do if the U.S. invaded Canada. And he believed that the best defense was a good offense. So he wanted to send flying columns occupying Seattle, Great Falls, Minneapolis, Albany, right? and divert American troops to the flanks away from Canada long enough for British and Commonwealth allies to arrive with reinforcements. Now, this was terminated in, like, the scheme itself was terminated in 1928, uh, but it was there. It was a famous scheme of what to do. Now, I was looking at the maps of where Tim Hortons is located in Canada and the United States, and I realized this is very similar to the defense scheme number one plan. And so I looked into it. Um, over the last 10 years, there was a single location of Tim Hortons in Albany. There was an expansion plan into Minneapolis. There was a coffee truck that was driving around Seattle. So I believe that Tim Hortons was planning a offensive... Uh, if, if Erica Fisher's group attacked Canada to try to claim, claim control of their ley lines, they would attack back push into U.S. territory, just enough time for the Scottish right to get their shit together and attack from the rear. That's what I think the plan was. I'm very surprised to see Canadians being this aggressive. Well, that's the, that's, well, that's the most logical way to deal with it. Like, I'm, I'm surprised, large, yeah. large, well, Canadians at war are fucking crazy, man. Like, they're nice up until it's wartime, and then they're crazy. All right, I'll take your word for it. I have never gone on the bad side of Canadian, and I hope to keep it that way. Now, this failed uh, because Erica Fisher was able to get Tim Hortons bought by Burger King. And I think that's like just drained the power. They were thinking 
too much in terms of the occult underground and they forgot about the world of the tiger. Um, they basically got co-opted. Um, it's a tragedy, and I don't know. I think some of them might have jumped ship, but Tim Hortons, people in Canada complain that Tim Hortons doesn't taste the same as it used to once the Burger King's distribution chains got into it. Um, I don't know about that, but I think that they have wiped out um, that, and I think that Erica Fisher is now in control of Canadian territory um, for the king, for the Burger Queen. Uh, uh, does Mexico fit into this anywhere? Mexico, for the most part, doesn't have something like Tim Hortons, like a, a its own fast food brand. That's not like most of like I can't I couldn't find anything. It seems like most of the fast food brands are the same as the US because if you want cheap food in Mexico, there are other options other than fast food and better options. Yeah, uh, yeah. But they're less. They're not like a chain. You'll go down and get like a burrito or taco or whatever, like from a, a like a, a nice person nearby and it's not the sort of thing that's conducive to a magical conspiracy of this scale. So I think that Mexico is not involved too much. Is that the extent of the Burger Queen conspiracy then? Oh, no. Oh, fuck. How deep does this go, man? It goes pretty dead. From 2001 to 2012, there was an advertising program called The Subservient Chicken. This was designed to advertise Burger King's Tender Crisp Chicken Sandwich and their Have It Your Way campaign. Now, what they did was they had a whole bunch of websites and they had one website which was particularly insane called the Subservient Chicken website. This don't sound like having it your way. Exactly, exactly. It had a page. It had a page with a man in a chicken costume in a fucking weird-ass little room and basically you could write in inputs like in a chat command and it would do like the things like whatever you asked it it would like respond to it like they had a whole bunch of like swf files that would play depending and on reactions to different commands there were 300 different commands right they went everyone from like the moonwalk walk like an egyptian can i eat you watch tv poke your eye out pee in the corner puke cabbage patch tai chi it went all over the place 300 different commands. I've seen the code. It's insane. And I believe that this thing was part of the move to get KFC subservient to Burger King. So I believe there do exist combination KFC Burger Kings. Oh, yes. And those KFC Taco Bells. Well, that's because they're both McLean uh, distributors. McLean distribution, okay. same distribution chain. So... She's just brought all these together then. So it's all just... Okay, so what do you think this happened with the colonel exactly? When were they subsumed by the force of the Burger Queen? I don't. I think they believe the people who work for KFC because they their modus operandi is um, they give magical charges to who they believe to be the the upholders of social order, particularly those in uniform, cops and maybe veterans and things. They dose them, hoping to reinforce the magic structure, reinforce the power structure magically to defend America and make it the world's most preempt mystical powerhouse. So they're nationalists. And I believe that they have been co-opted by Erica Fisher, and I believe that they are reinforcing the order. Like, they will be the thing that gets Erica Fisher from being the true queen of this company to maybe more. Right now, think about all the billionaires running for president right now. What about what about yeah. in ten, yeah. four years, eight years? What if Erica Fisher runs? Like she could be establishing her power. Yeah, I don't think she's doing that because I think her goal here is to replace the true king with a true executive. 
So she wants to have the amount of power President would without having that role officially. Like the true, if you want to replace the true king or the true queen with the true executive, you can't have that sort of political power. It has to be purely business and capitalistic. Sure, sure. But she could be shifting. She doesn't like. She doesn't know that she's a true executive. That's just what she's developed. I think she does at this point. I think Maybe she would point. know that by the now. I think she'd know that by now. And so she, with this, she'd be using the colonel sort of as a goon squad, right? Yes, but the colonel. So the goon squad, they're reinforcing her power, but she's also subsuming them symbolically because Harlan Sanders. What kind of colonel was he? A uh, Kentucky colonel. What does that mean? Uh, Kentucky Colonel, I think, is just kind of a state role that they assign you. It's not actually an official military role. Precisely. It is the highest title of honor bestowed by the Commonwealth of Kentucky. It's commissioned by the governor and the secretary of state, usually in requisition of achievements, service to a community, the state, or the nation, right? They will give the this role not just to Americans, not just to Kentuckians. They've given it to people internationally as well. The first Kentucky colonels were informal. They were usually veterans of the Revolutionary War. It became formalized in 1813, um, just after the Kentucky militia was um, disestablished. They originally did have a military role, but it became increasingly ceremonial over time. In the late 19th century, it became associated with the sort of genteel Southern gentleman archetype, you know, with the mint julep and all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was given out relatively sparingly in the early 20th century. That's when Harlan. Sanders got his uh, commission, became a Kentucky colonel, and he leaned into it hard. He leaned into it so hard, harder than most people did at the time. Things went out of control more recently. Um, in 2008, Governor Steve Bashir issued over 16,500 Kentucky colonel commissions, so much so that the commission office removed the traditional gold seal and ribbon for an embossed state seal, which I think is important in terms of the weakening of the colonel. Uh, I think part of it would have been a plan. I think maybe Erica Fisher paid Steve Bashir to do that. He got a lot of shit from people who were Kentucky colonels because there were many, there are there are many different fraternal orders of Kentucky colonels, uh, including overseas. There's one in Spain, one in Canada, one in the UK, uh, one in Switzerland. Are there hermetic orders of Kentucky colonels? Yes, the largest of which is, well, Maybe hermetic orders, but the largest order is the Honorable Order of Kentucky Colonels. Every commissioned colonel is automatically a member. Now, if I was running like a an unknown army's campaign, I would have these guys as being the equivalent of the Illuminati because it would be funny just to have the Kentucky Colonels being in charge of everything. No, that would make. I mean, that honestly makes sense to me. You have this very exclusive group of just you know old dudes with well coiffed mustaches and goatees. Sipping on mint juleps and ordering economies to collapse and there's something droll. Yes, but the thing is, there are a whole bunch of people that you would not expect to be Kentucky colonels. People like, you've got your Tiger Woods, you've got your Betty White, you've got your Whoopi Goldberg. You've got a fuckload of people who are Kentucky colonels that you would not expect. The, the reach of the Kentucky colonel, the reach of the Honorable Order of Kentucky colonels is a lot further than you think. I would not be surprised to find out those names were ruling the world. I'm just saying. Yes, exactly. Though I would be pretty disappointed to find out that Whoopi Goldberg's a pedophile. If she's that high but I don't think she is. I think she's just an asshole. So, the colonels have been compromised. 
All these are sounding like archetypes, too, in a way. Like, what archetype exactly is the colonel supposed to be? Um, well, I don't think he's an archetype. I think that he's become an icon uh, for Icon Mancers. And this is what I think the final stage in Erica Fisher's plan to subserve the colonel to the king is. Um, because Colonel Sanders is a Kentucky colonel, but that's not the only kind of colonel in the world. No, no, of course not. Was Sanders an actual colonel in addition to a Kentucky colonel? Did he have any military history? I should know. I don't believe so. I think it was like mostly in recognition of his service. But what the most important colonel I am looking into is the concept of a royal colonel, which is an appointment made by the British monarch to members of the British royal family who are in officer positions in the military. Um, there's not that many in the world. Included among the current royal colonels is our good friend, Prince Andrew. Uh, he is uh, in the Grenadier Guards and the Royal Highland Fusiliers. But anyway, what I'm thinking is that is not, of course, it's not American, but it's still resonant with the idea of a colonel. So what I think that Erica Fisher might do is in some something else, if she can get a possibly an iconomancer of high power channeling Harlan Sanders. I'm not sure what Harlan Sanders' icon powers are, but you know he had a few things that he could, that could become something. To get him into the family, as it were, um, of the true queen, maybe through a marriage uh, or adoption. Sounds about right. Uh, royalty f uh, marrying into uh, high-ranking military is some sort of uh, some sort of truce. Yep. Some sort of diplomatic yeah. action, and if that was something that was hasn't happened yet, if it's something that was going to happen, that seems like the kind of thing that you'd want to disrupt if you didn't want to. So, who's the guy that's at least semi publicly in running the show with the colonels? That I don't know. That I don't. Do we know. have a name. I, I've heard okay. the name. People just call him Harlan. I think he's an icon of answer. Okay, interesting. Um, and I think that the some of the I think that the honorable. Order of Kentucky Colonels is not involved. I think they're trying to fight it. Um, I think that they are one of the enemies of Erica Fisher. Um, but the problem is they are mostly a mundane organization. Um, it's it's a pickle. But that is what I've got on KFC. And I believe that they're being hit hard by um, unnatural phenomenon because there is so much in terms of like how many times have you heard like a story in the media about it like a deep fried rat or a deep fried chicken head or maggot chickens or things like that yeah kfc really hasn't been doing well the last no. few years people are getting seeing things like see pareidolia they're seeing things in the chicken right they're like seeing jesus's face and things like that they're uh i mean this is all linked to some old conspiracies of the mutant chickens the idea that KFC was um, making genetically engineered chickens with like eight legs and six wings and no head. And Could they be genetically engineering chickens so that they have charges built into them? Possibly. If they're doing that, if that's not just a rumor or uh, a literal attack, maybe they're doing that. I, mean, I could see that. Maybe those legs do exist and they're a side effect of this strange magical breeding process. Of course. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's just happening by accident. You know, like that effect of the charges they're throwing around and also possible curses that are being thrown at them. So what's up with the mermaid then? The Starbucks people. It's not a mermaid. It's a melusine. Okay. I don't know what the fuck a melusine is. Melusine has two tails and is freshwater. All right. So where's the significance there? 
Well, uh, the Melusine shows up in the first time we saw a Melusine in history, 7th century Otranto in southern Italy. Um, it entered the medieval bestiary. It became associated with um, some French legends, um, French myths in the, in the 12th century. Um, it was, there was a story of a man who married a Melusine. Um, and he, they had a deal that he would leave her alone every Saturday when she bathed. And then one day he went and looked in the, looked in the peephole and he discovered that she had these big old tail. And, um, and the whole story itself is like weirdly phallic and weirdly sexual in an odd way. Um, okay. So yeah, that it has a long history, um, in mythology, but it's also not well known. You don't know about it. People refer to... I've never heard of a Melusine. Um, are there like two-tailed mermaids that are open seed? Is that... Or is it just you got two tails, you're a Melusine? Um, I believe that um, in terms of the initial uh, idea, the initial design, it could have been open sea because it was a... Um, it was You could see the Melusine all over the Mediterranean in art. Uh, but it often popped up... Like in Otranto, when it first popped up, it popped up on a mosaic that was... It was in a period of time when, and a place in a period of time where there was relative tolerance and relative influence from different places because there was in the giant mosaic that have uh, figures from the Bible, figures from Greek and Roman myth, figures from the Quran, all mixed together and a bestiary of figures and deities and monsters and things and that's where the melusine first showed up okay so it sounded like the melusine very possibly did not come from the western occult tradition not well it comes from like it's before you could even talk really about a western a western occult tradition it was more like a mediterranean occult tradition uh, at the time okay okay so um... What's what's the politics with these guys? What's what's their leadership like? Uh, how did these guys come out of the original Mac attacks? These guys are quite elitist. Um, they, I think, these were people possibly revolutionaries right. um, who were. They seem to match up to the ones who wanted to create a uh, hierarchy. The way they operate is they are based around. A lot of them are in Washington D.C. A lot of them are in positions of power. Their plan is to use magical charges to dose up certain political figures. And coffee being their method of distribution is a pretty big difference there. That's interesting. I was actually looking into like the history, the occult history of coffee beans and you know the symbology and stuff. Because the first uh, coffee, the first coffee that was drunk was drunk in Ethiopia. But the yeah. first time it was grown and it was exported to the world was by Sufi mystics in Yemen who used believed coffee would help them in their mystical searches, which made sense. But I it certainly has helped me with the same. That's right. But I realized soon that I was looking in the wrong place. Um, it's not about the coffee itself. The, because I realized that the Melusine in Hermetic Alchemy it represented the universal mercury. The universal mercury is um, the incubation of the four elements of creation, earth, fire, air, and water in the cosmic womb. It was important, very much important in ancient alchemy. And I was thinking, what is a better representation of the mer- of universal mercury than the frappuccino? The coffees are grown in the earth. They are burned in fire, put in water, and then frapped with air. The universal mercury is the frappuccino. It is the recipes. It is the pumpkin spice. It is the weird combinations. That's where the magic lies. It's not the coffee beans itself. 
it's what people are getting, what people are choosing. See, I don't think the Frappuccino that they sell is the Universal Mercury. I think they're trying to find the Universal Mercury, and the Frappuccino is their best bet. That's a good point. That's why they keep coming out with different flavors. Yeah, like, you remember that, like, weird, like, unicorn one or something, like, that came out a few years yep. back? That's exactly what I'm thinking of. So they, they, they keep getting closer each time, but they still haven't gotten it quite yet. Exactly. Where do the charges come into this? Is that just their way of influencing the world to get occult power? Or is that tied in with the... Are they trying to use the Universal Mercury to sort of take control of society once they've found it? I think so. I think they've moved a, a bit away from the charge dropping. They still do it. Um, I think they're using charge dropping to try to influence um, politics in the way they want. I think that they're probably sending out unhappy meals um, to fuck with politicians they don't like. Um, but what is an unhappy meal? An unhappy meal is a usually... Back in the day, back during the Safe and Happy New Year project, it was a meal that was given by an adept that had some sort of symbolic ties with the adept, which was able to put a whammy on a target, right? Um, it had to be linked with the symbology somehow. I think that they're messing around with the different drink types to try to give send out whammies. So you'll have, say they want to swing a vote in Congress, right? They'll send out, they'll get their order, and they'll be like, okay, this order is definitely coming from Senator What's-His-Face. They'll fuck his order up a bit and send it out. So the Senator will be like, I didn't order this. Oh, fuck it. What I, and they, whatever he gets will be some, somehow symbolically linked with whatever they want to do to him, whatever whoever the adept is. So if the, if the Senator goes, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll just drink it anyway, he'll yeah. get hit with a whammy. He'll be hit by a curse and have bad luck. I mean, what's worse luck than this bill you've been trying to pass for God knows how long getting denied? So they're using that they're using that sort of probability magic perhaps to indirectly influence uh, Republican democracy. Yeah, Republicans, Democrats, I don't know what they represent. They're an elitist group. They want majors on the top. No, I'm, not, I'm using Republican as in like an adjective oh. in reference to a republic. Sure. sure. They might want to create, because they're so into like hermetic stuff and that whole classical tradition, they might be trying to turn Washington, D.C. into like Plato's Republic with the uh, majors on top. This is well established that there's plenty of occult imagery and symbology scattered throughout D.C. to charge off of, so I'm sure they're probably doing all right there. I think, yeah, I think that they're pretty much separated from the main struggle between the Scottish Rite and the Burger King because they're in a different field. They're trying to do different things. I think they're probably based mostly in Washington, D.C., maybe Silicon Valley, maybe maybe New York. Um, and I think they're mostly in, not involved with the main war. I think they're trying to seize power in a different way. I think they're very dangerous, uh, but I don't think they have large numbers. Do we know anything about whoever's running the show here? Whoever's in charge? I, I, I have no idea about that. What do you think? What sort of person do you think would be in charge of this? Uh, I could very easily see it being someone uh, similar to Fisher, but coming rather than from the business world, coming from the political world. You know, these guys um, split from Mac Attacks, decide to go to Starbucks instead because, you know, coffee is dovetails nicely with getting a charge in your meal. One, it makes that extra kick less likely to be noticed. And two, it's just, you know, if you're getting your caffeine buzz, having all this 
strange occult stuff happen to you, you just feel like, oh, okay, I'm I'm having my good day. I got my good coffee. I am in a good place today. So yeah. it gives them that extra plausible deniability. So you see someone a lot like uh, Fisher coming in, and she or he discovers this somehow and realizes that they can use this to influence politics. Exactly. I think, yeah, there's definitely, when it comes down to the individual agents of this conspiracy, um, people who don't work in Starbucks, I see people who are interns working in, like, maybe the White House, maybe Congress, you know, who people who maybe have jumped from Starbucks to working in the, the White House. The people that got to do coffee runs. Exactly. So when they're getting all the coffee for people, that's their chance to put a few charges into the mix. Exactly. So why haven't these guys drawn Erica Fisher's attention, though? That's my question. Well, I don't think they... I think that they are trying to work within the confines of, as you said, the Republican system. And I think that Erica Fisher is trying to create a parallel corporate feudalist system uh, that exists. But you think that that'd lead to a lot of conflict between the two? Is she just so focused on uh, the Scottish right that she can't deal with the... Um increasingly powerful well i think that if they i think at this point they're not um on her radar i don't think they're powerful enough or influential enough because there are a lot of other groups that work um in the occult underground you've got your weird like scions of mason the masonic rites that are in washington you've got the immortal secretaries who keep shit under wraps you've got a lot but they probably wouldn't be getting involved with this type of stuff too much because they don't get involved with anything too much sure I could easily see um, if the Melusine became more powerful and more influential and did come under Erica Fisher's radar, I could see them bending the knee in the way that the Roman Senate bent the knee to the Roman emperors, um, but they were still running the Roman Senate. They were still the rich and powerful, right? They want to be the nobles. Um, I can easily see them like becoming co-opted by Erica Fisher in the same way that the Colonel's being. Yeah. Uh, but it just hasn't happened yet. I think they're an independent entity at the moment. Yeah. The type of thing where they are at odds with each other, but never enough that they destroy each other. Exactly. Exactly. All right. All right. But it could be something that if you were, if there were people working into the Scottish Rite, they could try to convince them. It, they could be something that's on the table as something that's in play and whoever makes the move whoever's able to push them over on on side get them on their side um has an advantage all right so yeah you have a very interesting uh battlefield that you've sketched out here for us and i have no idea where this is gonna go there is a few other players on the board um i believe yeah i think i've heard about those guys a bit um some involved with some other fast food joints right yeah, but these are real minor. Um, I believe that there's a few in, in and out, um, but I think these are probably a Christian group um, because with the Bible verses on the wrappers and cups, um, that could give symbolic energy with a charge or an unhappy meal. Uh, but I don't know what those guys' deal are, deal is, and I don't know what they how they're not very widespread because they're mostly California, right? Yes, I think there's a couple in like Arizona and stuff. I think that we should go into these other groups a bit more after a break to give our listeners a bit of a chance to all right absorb all this uh uh secret knowledge that you're giving all right. them all right we'll be right back here listeners
Have you ever wondered why humans are so keen on wearing diamonds? You'd say to me, because humans are just really smart monkeys with opposable thumbs that like shiny things. And you'd be correct, technically speaking. But here's the real detail. 132 years ago, two Dutch brothers colonized South Africa to get diamonds. Most thought these men were just doing the normal things all colonial did. Beating up the brown natives for those big shiny rocks. But little did most people know, in the magical hands of the beers, whose nicknames are the based on account of their incestuous beginnings, family, they were able to enchant diamonds into devices of powerful fertility control. <laughs> Welcome back, listeners. Uh, so, Torpson here was just about to enlighten me on the l- remaining few smaller sects of the Mass Attack diaspora. Or Mac Attacks, excuse me. I do believe that um, one of the major ones was Subway. Okay. Um, they... Just for the fact that they call their workers sandwich artists. Yeah, it's is- a very different dynamic. And the fact that they deal with combinations of foods, uh, choices. I think one thing that was huge, uh, especially in Whisper War and post, well, post-Whisper War era, is the fact that the subway, they had the subway in the sky. Have you heard about this? No, I have not. It was the subway restaurant that was at Ground Zero that was hanging up above the, um, what's the word for it, the World Trade Center 1. Um they had the subway because they needed basically the problem was for the workers who were working on world trade center one they if they went down to get lunch and came back there wasn't enough time to do both so they had a restaurant that was like hanging above like where the workers were working and a whole bunch of companies a whole bunch of restaurants vied to get that position and it ended up being subway that took it and that's that's kind of huge. So it was Subway that was hanging over this rebirth of um, American power after 9-11. In the wake of Macatax's biggest failure, Subway remains. Yep, yep. That, that's impressive, and I could definitely see that drawing Macataxers away from the Golden Arches towards the 12-inch path. 12-inch bath, yeah. I think that they are somewhere in between. I think they're similar to, to the Melusine. They are their own entity. They haven't chosen one side or the other, and they might not want to. With these guys, I would suspect, like Subway, especially at the time, the advertisements were very fundamentally about transforming yourself. Sure. So I could very easily see Subway being the foundation for a sect of Mac attacks f- focused upon using this um using their char their charge charity as sort of a occult almsgiving. It's less about creating a magical revolution and shaping society and more about shaping yourself and looking inwards. That could well very well be it. Um I don't know how big they are. I think they might be Weaker I doubt they'd than, make much you know, noise if it's no. all about this, um, you know, inward tr- transcendence. Perhaps there have been sandwich artists that have shed their mortal coil and gone on to the next plane. This sounds to me like the difference between Mahayana 
Buddhism and Hinayana Buddhism, where the Mahayana was meant to be about helping other people to achieve enlightenment in a very simplified sense, yeah. or Hinayana was about cultivating your own enlightenment. Uh, that makes sense. I don't know enough about Buddhism to comment, but sure. See, Makatax is kind of like communism and kind of like Buddhism. Well, how the, okay, how are they like communism? I'm not following you there. I was when I was when we were talking before about Leninists versus anarchists. Oh shit! Okay, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. And, um, this ties into the pizza guys I've heard about, doesn't it? You actually know more about this than I do. Okay, because. okay, okay. So the interesting thing about pizza compared to all these other ones is that uh, pizza is a much more communal eating experience. So rather than your Burger Kings or your KFCs where you're usually getting a meal by yourself and eating it by yourself, maybe sharing it with others, but you're getting generally discreet pieces of food. For a pizza, each slice is part of a greater whole. And now normally this might not work for charges. Uh, You can split a significant charge into 10 minor charges. So if you're able to imbue a pie with... A significant charge and you're willing to give that out then you have 10 people i mean possibly less can depending on how many people eat how many slices each person takes they're each getting at least one minor charge yep and if if your plan is to spread if to do the old macatex way of having unnatural phenomenon occur around people that might make sense because the thing is like if you are imbuing a pie with a significant charge you would spend a sig to put that sig in that's costly that's a costly thing but yes. if the idea is like 10 people with one minor charge causes more widespread unnatural phenomenon than one person with a six charge worth of unnatural phenomenon and more concentrated unnatural phenomenon too Quite possibly yeah because all these people are usually going to be eating in about the same location so this ties in pretty well with, I think that this, from what I've heard, at least, um, a lot of the old, more revolutionary, true believer Mac attacks is those that didn't just get disillusioned, they end up going to these guys. Because the thing about pizza is that it's pretty much everywhere in one fashion or another. And not only that, you are bringing someone's charges right to their door a lot of the time. That's true. Yeah, you order the charges right to the door. I mean... It- now, that's that's kind of happening for a lot of these chains nowadays, but pizza has much more of a history of this direct delivery. For sure, for sure. And you could also have... It depends when you where you put the charges, uh, what version of the ritual of lesser correspondence they're using. Because I'm thinking each of these groups has a different version of that ritual. Now, yeah. what if like it was just the smell of the pizza? In that case, it doesn't. My, maybe you don't have to put this, the charge in at the franchise location. It could be you could put it in in the car. You look, you, you drive around, you see where you're going, and you're like, oh, okay, this looks like the sort of kind of place that I want to put a pizza. Like, for example, you see a party going on. You see a frat party going on, some like 19 year olds getting drunk. You're like, this is a place where some magic should lighten things up. And you put it in, in, the, in the car, you pump, pump the, the pies full of charges. Maybe you'll choose. They're like, what have they got here? Oh, this one's got pineapple on it. All right, put a charge in here. This one's got anchovies on it. All right, put a charge in here. Um, you can make your choices. And most importantly, with this wandering delivery structure, you're no longer tied to a corporation the way you are with these others. 
like if you show up at a party and someone shows up with a pizza and a like a Domino's uniform, nobody's gonna question, hey, did someone order pizza? Yeah, exactly. No, they're just gonna be like, hey, someone ordered pizza. Sweet pizza. So even if you aren't employed at one of these locations anymore, you still have the uniform. You can still dole out these charges, and nobody's really enough. Very few people are. This doesn't look like a Domino's pizza. This is a pizza you've made at home. Yeah, exactly. Just like, oh, this you can just get a fucking frozen pizza from a supermarket. Send them in a box. They aren't going to fucking question. There's the idea that I had about maybe some of the Macs are violating some of the old rules they used to have because one of the major rules they had was that you would never hand out charges in exchange for anything whether it be money or sex or favors or anything and if there are yeah and that sounds like something that's gonna stop real fast yeah i don't think i think that that probably gets hit pretty hard by the scottish right and um the the main groups when it happens um, because it goes against their ideological positions but maybe for a group like and just the disillusion that comes with the whisper war yeah like so you have all these people that still know this ritual but they are leaving mac attacks for their own safety or just because it's gone so far from what they originally came to it for and that's quite useful for people who are in cabals who they're trying to do something. Maybe they don't have a charger on hand. Maybe someone's been tabooed. They need something quickly. Luckily, they know a guy who knows a guy. You can order a pizza. You just order the exact right toppings, right combination of toppings. Maybe it's pineapple and anchovies. And then when they hear that, they know, okay, this person wants to get a charge. And so that pizza yep. will come to you, but you pay something more. You pay either money or whatever. And that's kind of the thing with pizza that's interesting compared to the all these burger chains and, you know, KFC and uh, Starbucks is that it's so split. You could have all these chargers involved with pizza in some way and kind of, they can switch between the different chains while maintaining a certain level of anonymity. And while if they are still doing this for a revolutionary communal cause, Groups like that tend to fracture a lot. Yeah. Uh, especially in terms of uh, pizza. One of the problems with pizza is pizza is already has a bit of a presence in the occult underground in terms of the purist wars between, you know, your Chicago deep dish um, factions and your New York pizza factions and the Detroit pizza factions. And they get into their little turf wars as well, which crosses over into the occult underground. I'm not sure how that interacts with the pizza-based Mac taxes, but it could be something to keep in mind. Yeah, I'd imagine that there's, if there are pizza-based Mac taxes, then there's definitely overlap there. And I could see a lot of disillusioned former Mac taxers throwing in their lots with some of the uh, pizza gangs. I mean, I've myself run into a good number of disillusioned former Mac taxers among just pretty, your average cabals. I mean, sure. It's, yeah, they're around. You, there's a lot around. Yep, there's a lot around, and a lot of them just came out of the Whisper War and everything surrounding that, wanting nothing to do with it, but still knowing this stuff. And not, not and even still... just old Macs who used to be part of Mac Attacks, but also their children. Like You have people who left Mac Attacks back in 2003, 2004, have gone off, but then they have kids, and they raise their kids. The kids are like now 
in their teenagers or whatever, and their parents always take them to McDonald's and tell them stories about what used to be. And now you have these Zoomers who have a very, maybe a rose-tinted view of what Mac attacks used to be, maybe not knowing that there's still out there a Scottish Rite and the Burger King and trying to recreate what Mac attacks was based on their parents' stories. So you could have like an orphaned Mac attacker having that Harry Potter moment. Yes. Where someone from Mac attacks just jumps into their life and is like, you're a charger kid. I can teach you. I've always <laughs> dreamed of Ronald McDonald. Well, is there any further sex of these guys that you should let me know about? Because I think we've covered pretty much everything. Um, I would like, there's one major sect uh, that exists internationally. Okay, so yeah, you said these guys are mostly American now, but I know there were, there was a Mac Attacks international presence. It seems like Canada ended up getting taken out, but what about Canada other countries? Well, if we cover the other different countries, I'll go through the ones that are probably not doing much at the moment. Um, France, they had a presence in the MACDO in France. Um, I believe that they kind of ran afoul of uh, autocopulentus, interestingly, because one of the major French Mac attacks's father was a sort of one of those chefs who was one of those haute cuisine, um, maybe even molecular gastronomy type chefs. Um, and he got... Avant-garde shit. Yeah, avant-garde shit. The Mac attacks was kind of he was his magic was based on aesthetics um he would charge from getting rejected by beautiful women uh he was an interesting character interesting. yep he would probably be in his late 30s now he's probably his father has probably been killed by the autocopulentus and turned into a phasma he's probably bitter about that i don't know what's going on i think that they're made of mac tax in france mcdonald's in france is already very different from um elsewhere because it's slower and generally has better quality food because the French don't care as much about um, the fast food thing. When Burger King tried to expand into France, they tried to use the uh, original style of quick and easy and it just it just failed completely in France. Uh, but McDo um, has done well based on maintaining a high quality of food. Uh, but I'm not sure what's happening in France. I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe in- Mac Attacks in France is like Switched to being a more general occult anti-establishment movement, the Yellow Vests, if you will. That would actually be very interesting. The Mac Yellow Vests. That's yeah. that's a, that's an idea. I can I can follow that. Um, it also makes me wonder of like what the Mac attacks did in other countries in Europe. I'm thinking mainly of the UK. I think that they probably got pretty hit pretty hard in the UK because the, the UK was a sleeper stronghold. Um, I think whatever Mac attacks still exists in the UK might have moved to different franchises, possibly Nando's. Um, with the whole thing with the cheeky Nando's meme, that might be a representation of um, the fact that Mac attacks has moved there. Maybe pub chains, pub food, like Weatherspoons. Um, I don't know that much about how they're going on in the UK. But that, I think- but that, would, that would strike me as good sleeper defense because if you're dealing with a bunch of drunks, then their testimony is a lot less reliable so you can get away with a bit more shit. Exactly, exactly. And there's no reason you can't give out um, charges in alcohol. Ask a dipsomancer. I'm sure they'd be willing to talk your ear off about that and a lot of other things. 
Um, for my country, for Australia, I think that Mac Attacks is pretty much dead. Yeah, what's up with Maccas? Maccas, yeah. Um, my problem with Mac Attacks in Australia, and generally for most places in the world, is it's very much separated from the goal of creating a mystical leyline network of distribution. And you could, the problem with transporting that model to Australia is that so many of the ley lines are not known by particularly white Australian, uh, the white Australian occult underground. Because historically in Australia, we didn't have the ley lines or dragon lines that existed in uh, Europe and Asia and the Americas. We instead had um, the Aborigines had song lines that um, allowed them to communicate and travel over long distances. But because white Australian society is fucking racist and very um, dismissive of like Aboriginal shit. Like when the Europeans first came to Australia, Australia was full of like fruits and shit that you could eat, plants, herbs and things that the Aborigines would eat. For the longest time, we just ignored all that and we just imported shit from Europe and ate like Europeans did. Now we're starting to get like fucking hipsters opening Aboriginal restaurants, but that's fucking shitty too because they, uh, they just get old Aboriginal women to find the shit and pay them a pittance and then charge like rich dicks heaps for this stuff. So that, sh that just shows the kind of like mentality of the white Australian occult underground. And this is why Australia is often, the occult underground is often seen as weird and mysterious and full of other spaces is because we don't want to know, we don't know what the fuck's going on. The occult underground in Australia is this thin layer of confusion over like 40,000 years of occult tradition that we basically just ignore. So we cannot use the song lines that in the same way that McDonald's uh, uses, the same way that Mac Attacks uses the ley lines because one, half the white uh, Mac Attacks, the Australian Mac Attacks doesn't really know they exist. Two, you'd have to put a, a franchise location in the middle of the desert, like all over the place. And that's Yeah, just there's just the, um, the pragmatic reality of the interior is not as built up as you have with the United States or Europe, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think Australia Mac Attack still exists. I don't know what they're doing. I think they might have slid into different groups. Um, in Australia, we call it Maccas. Uh, Burger King is not called Burger King. It's called Hungry Jacks because the name Burger King was already owned by a... was The copyright was already owned by a company, a burger joint in Adelaide when the American corporation tried to expand into Australia. Um, in the 2000s, actually in a, in a period of time, actually corresponded with the Whisper War in a way, um, Burger King tried to take... Burger King, the American... A uh, company tried to take control of Hungry Jacks um, and convert them all into Burger King locations. Um, the Hungry Jacks Corporation resisted. There was a war, a corporate war, where there were in Sydney and, and Melbourne and such, there were places where Burger King and Hungry Jacks both existed and they were exactly the same, selling exactly the same food, um, except you couldn't use the coupons from one at the other. Um, Eventually, after some legal disputes, Burger King actually lost. They retreated to the airports for a while, and then they fucked off. Um, now, but now Hungry Jacks is basically an independent entity, which is still linked to Burger King in some way, but um, they're probably not linked to Erica Fisher. Well, yeah, that's the thing that, like, a lot of these countries, it seems like intentionally or otherwise, they've set up their anti-Burger King defenses, which are likely preventing Erica Fisher's influence from becoming more international. Exactly, exactly. 
Um, now, the one country where there is a ley line network that is being used uh, in a way that is impossible in Australia and difficult in Europe, especially post-Brexit, um, is Japan. Japan had one of the largest uh, non-Western concentrations of MACs. They had 20 MACs in 2003, but that's still like 5% of MACs in the world because they're only like 400 MACs. Yeah. So that had a large amount of MACs. Three of them were in Asi, Asahikawa, which is a city in Hokkaido, which is like not a major city. It's like a core city. Uh, it's not the capital of Hokkaido. It's not a big city. It's a huge city, obviously, but it's not one of the the city that you would assume would have it's not tokyo accident. it's not um tokyo yeah. is not a tokyo is not a city what tokyo is a prefecture oh, okay so then what is the city in tokyo prefecture uh there's a bunch uh what's call, the big called city? wards okay okay interesting it's a special case it's a very special case uh, but it's not a city technically anyway what happened in Asahikawa was there was a some kind of pattern being developed by a woman named uh, Betty Kimura. Uh, she was the head Mac um, for the cabal that existed at the McDonald's there. Um, what happened was on the Fung Vespucci list, the mailing list, these were the guys that were trying to work out prophecies and predictions. They had pretty much a 98% failure rate and 2% frightening success. And a large amount of those frightening successes in terms of predicting what would happen when a special order was given out was concentrated around Asahikawa. Um, and so they sent out some investigative teams to work out what was going on, but it was kind of confusing. And the problem was there was also this fact that this pattern was being developed there um, also caught the eye of the Japanese sleepers who were called the Divine, Divine Watchmen. Now, at the time, there were three members. There was Betty Kimura. Is this were... a branch of the sleepers or is it a separate organization that just serves a similar purpose? I, I believe that they were associated, but not. I think they were probably a subsidiary of the sleepers. Okay, okay. Maybe, maybe some semi-independent because they don't want to take orders from the Chinese. I don't know. There were three core members in Asakikawa. There was Betty Kimura. She was very uh, pro-Mac. She was, that was part of her identity. She was Mac to the end. And she loved American culture, especially 50s and 80s culture. Uh, she were under, beneath her were Hiroyuki Kaifu, and he was an Anglophile. He was uh, really into the British royal family, and he was possibly a Princess Diana iconomancer. He was a guy in his 30s in 2003, uh, 30 years old in 2003. Uh, then we have Azuma Yoshiko, who called herself on the main list Sojo Elvis. Um, she was a nationalist. She was extremely anti-American, but she was also an Elvis impersonator, um, and she loved, she loved Elvis. Nice paradox there. Exactly, yeah. It was interesting. Now, they were getting their magic through a contact on in Honshu called Ai Suimoto, who was doing some kind of tree and stone-based magic, which sounds like some Shinto, pseudo-neo-Shinto thing. Uh, but what I think happened is that during the Whisper War, um, when the mailing list went down, uh, communication broke down between the US and all the international branches of Mac attacks. And I think what happened at the time, according to my sources, what happened at the time, the Max in Japan got hit hard by the Divine Watchmen. They got hit really, really hard. And I think Betty Kimura was killed, was martyred by the Divine Watchmen because she was such, she was going to be growing up 
if they let her alive, she would have moved up the ranks of bank attacks and probably come become the head of bank attacks in Japan just because she divided devoted so much of her identity to the bank attacks. She's done the ritual fealty like a whole bunch of times. I think that Kaifu and Yoshiko went to ground. They ran away. I believe that they got into a relationship. Um, I believe that because I, from what I've heard about these two people, Hiroko Kaifu, Kaifu um, was a Princess Diana Okonomancer. I think that his background is from a very conservative Japanese family um, that was really into the imperial family, following the emperor and the, his family and having lots of respect in that way. I think he was a black sheep of the family. I think that he might have been either trans or just a crossdresser, uh, which is why he followed, ended up following the British family line and becoming a iconomancer. Um, and I think that he became he got into a relationship with Yoshiko, who I see now. He's also a crossdresser. Yes, I think I see her more as being like uh, the crossdressing is not as closely related to her sexuality. Um, I do think she's a lesbian, possibly. I think that she's transitioning now because she was twenty years old in two thousand three. She's now in her late thirties. Um, Elvis died at the age of forty-two. Um, and this is in the late Elvis stage. What I think happened is they killed Kimura. Kimura was the one that was very pro-American. Yoshiko hated America, and Kaifu was more interested in the UK stuff. I think that when Kimura got killed, she would have got killed by the sleepers just after radio silence happened from the US back attacks. I think Yoshiko has interpreted that as a kind of stab in the back from U.S. brands. I think that it when they if they have made contact, they back with the U.S. They found that the U.S. is now squabbling groups, right? And they're getting like yeah. the wrong information. So I think that they have Yoshiko and Kaifu. Mostly Yoshiko has now taken the reins of Mac Attacks Japan, but I think that they've left McDonald's completely, right? Because the thing is, it never really made a whole lot of sense. Um, to use McDonald's in Japan because Japan, in Western fast food occupies a different place in the zeitgeist than it does in the US or in Western countries where if he wants Is to it more of like food, an event meal type deal? Exactly. You can take a date to McDonald's and not get a drink thrown at you. It's yeah. an event sort of thing. What we have in terms of Japan, they need to move somewhere where they are able to do something similar to what the US was doing with the internet, internet, uh, interstate highway system to develop the ley lines and get control of the ley lines. There isn't such a highway system in the in uh, Japan, but what they do have is the Shinkansen lines, the train lines. And yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't cover the whole country. Those bullet trains don't cover the whole country. But if you look at the regular lines as well, it covers most of it. It looks very similar to what you'd get in the US with the international inter interstate highway system. Now, what I think that they've moved into is away from McDonald's and into Ekiben, which are those overpriced bento boxes they sell at the train stations, right? The advantage of selling these bento boxes is you can sell them at the stations, you can sell them on the train, you have the cart, right? You are more mobile, you can move from train to train, you can cover the whole country in a day, you can choose where you wanna spend your charges, what you wanna do with them, where to put them, right? And you're much more tied into the ley lines in the way that, you know, the reason that they started with McDonald's is because they, there was the drive-thru. You were right next to these major ley lines and major paths of transportation. From the sound of things, McDonald's Japan doesn't really have that connection with convenience and transportation. 
So um, you want to shift to something that does. Yep, that's where the Ekaben come in. Um, what is interesting is with Ekaben is each train station will have uh, like a local variety with some local delicacies or local ingredients or whatnot, right? Like whatever local fish or meat or vegetables or whatever. But over the last couple of years, there's there's opened a place in um, Tokyo in the train station there is one location which sells ekiben from all over the country because they can come in from all over the country on the bullet trains it's it's still fresh right the, the trains are coming in all the time so you can order you can go into this shop and get an ekiben from anywhere in the country i believe that there is a mac a mac attacks japan person working there who is kind of like uh the stereotypical sherlock holmes type you know like how sherlock holmes could like look at you and see like the dirt on your your hem or like the mustard on your on your in your beard and be like okay i can tell what you ate and what you did or where you've been and all that sort of stuff yeah. there's a mac that's like that who can who sees like a random hungover salary man will walk in the mac will quickly scan them work out where they're going where they've been who they are and then make the choice whether or not to give them a special order and in that sense they can spread the charges throughout the Shinkansen system and do unto Japan what Mac Attacks was trying to do to the US through the uh, interstate system. On a much smaller geographic scale, but it seems to be more... Like, this uh, Akiben, uh, like, this central one in Tokyo seems like a good central staging point for Mac Attacks Japan. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I believe that they're using another method to take out their enemies. I think that they've hit the Divine Watchmen hard. Um, I think I'm imagining scenes where, like, a couple of Divine Watchmen are on the train, maybe discussing, like, shit that they're going to do in code words and just completely ignoring the lady pushing the cart of bento boxes past them while she's eavesdropping on them. And that's the kind of thing. They're, like, hiding in plain sight and able to take out the enemies that way. And how they take out the enemies is perhaps with what are called character bento boxes. Have you heard of these? Uh, I have not. These are like these bento boxes where they have like rice that's shaped into, they use, they shape them and make a shape out of them. And they put like ham and seaweed and stuff on them and make them to shape like an animal character or right. make a bento box shaped like uh, Pikachu or Shin-chan or whatever like pop culture character. So they're usually things from pop culture or animals or plants and things like that, the character bento boxes. These, because they're linked with pop cultural touchstones and animals and plants, that makes them the perfect vessels for disseminating unhappy meals. So you send, you give someone, you look at the character, the character matches up with whatever your magic is, you send them, you send it, we put a curse in it, you give it to the, the enemy or you get it to the enemy, he eats it, he or she eats it and gets a whammy. Uh, it's perfect. So I think that in the Japanese occult underground, it's the rumor is out that you should stay the fuck away from character bento boxes because they'll fuck you up. That that sounds very plausible to me. I even have a name for these guys, but it's All a right. name. <laughs> I'm like Mac Attacks, Mac Attacks. Hmm. Not plan anymore. Bento Banzai. I like it. I'm not sure if they do, but I do. They don't like it. Um, that I actually looked into it to see if anyone had used that name before, and it was apparently the name of a two-person rice-eating competition at um, a Japanese <laughs> pop culture convention in Calgary, Canada, uh, which means that it's definitely what they're called. And it also, it could be translated as long-live lunch, which I like. This has been a, a ride. This has been 
insane, honestly. But I, I can't say that I can reasonably disagree with any of the speculation you've given. It, it, it's all, it makes too much sense. There's, there's too much evidence there. I've got the documents. I told you. They may be, they may be placemats, but they're documents. Well, and I, I trust your sources here. Like, who but a burger would be able to give you all this secret information? Exactly. Exactly. They they know what happened to McDonald's land. They they don't want it to happen again. I think we're gonna leave off there. Um, we have we're gonna be discussing a movie for a bit, so stay tuned. Until then, Torbson, you got any closing notes on the Mac Attacks conspiracy? Or conspiracies, rather. There's dozens of them for the sound of things. I would just like people to um, remember with the Mac Attacks diaspora is that there's it has divided into so many different groups uh, with so many different agendas that there is a lot you can still do with Mac Attacks if you were running a scenario uh, or a campaign um, of the um, Unknown Armies system. Um, you could do it the old way if you wanted to, but there's also many, many other possibilities out there. Um, and it's it's worth looking into. All right. Well, uh, we're going to be taking the caller, and then we'll be back to discuss some films. There, listeners. They are coming. It is time to write out your final will. Come to triumphwills.com for all your will writing needs. Enter the offer code, they are coming, for 10% off your next will writing. Triumphwills.com Welcome back, listeners. Uh, we are going into some interesting territory today with our usual media segment. Uh, so, where's usually we go into something a bit more... Directly related to UA, the underground, all that good shit. Uh, today we're talking about a kind of uh, lesser known movie from early 2010s. Uh, Russian movie, very obviously trying to go for sort of a Hollywood blockbuster thing. With mixed results, uh, the movie is branded. Now, we were sort of... Struggling to find something related to the subject matter that Thompson was talking about here today. And this was the best thing that we could find. Um, we were thinking this was just going to be kind of a shitty They Live ripoff, to be honest. But it's it's not a good movie. But it's an interesting movie. It's, it's like three movies. It's three different movies. Yes. Yes. The, the tonal shifts are crazy. Like, I liked it a lot for, like, the first, like, third of it. And then I also liked it after that, but the tonal shift is really weird. And, and it felt like someone's UA game that just changes tone. In a sense, in a sense. But, like, okay, so the setup of the movie is it's about this Russian guy named Misha. He's an advertising executive, uh, you know, trying to... Just make his way up in the world, yada, yada, yada. Uh, his boss is played by Jeffrey Tambor. Um, Misha ends up hooking up with his boss's niece. Uh, that's sort of the core romantic subplot driving the movie. And 
for like the first third of it, it's just pretty much sort of a standard corporate drama. Very sat- satirical. Um, very satirical. It, it, it's very satirical. And it, it's, I uh. love that sort of era of like the post-Soviet early um, Russian Federation, just rapacious capitalism period. That's a really fun yeah, period of yeah. time. Um, and so I enjoyed that. But well, it was a terrible period of time if you'd lived there. Um, but it's an interesting setting. And I enjoyed that aspect of it. And seeing that represented in the film was cool. So through his love interest, he ends up getting involved with this reality show project where like the setup essentially is that uh, they're going to take this large lass and put her through a very extreme cosmetic surgery to make her skinny. That ends up going very poorly. She ends up in a medical coma. So the thing here is that this entire reality show, everything surrounding it, is actually a setup by... It's a conspiracy by several fast food companies to change the world in such a way that fat is, you know, the beauty standard. It's fat people are considered attractive. And the tragedy of... Uh, this woman under your coma is the plan to spur that on. This happens in Russia. This happens in Brazil. And I believe a third country. Kenya. It was Kenya, Brazil, Kenya, and Russia. It. Yeah, the plan was to shift the social um, concept of beauty towards um, more overweight as opposed. And, like, it, it's kind of badly handled. Like they could have done it better because they could have yes. they could have done it in a way that just shows that like, um, it was kind of a bit played for laughs in a way that they didn't have like, the idea of like societal um, beauty standards affecting health um, is an interesting idea. I mean that whole setup initially is very UA the of the conspiracy of, okay, we're going to change the culture in this way to change their beauty standards. It does feel like someone's cosmic objective or global objective. Um, exactly. Now, at that point, that's already like kind of weird because there's a bit of setup there, but the movie very abruptly shifts from sort of corporate drama about oligarchic, hyper-capitalist Russia. And then, so the main character ends up Moving to a farm in the middle of nowhere and just becoming a shepherd for a few years was, because he becomes convinced then, that uh, his marketing his prowess is cursed. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, so at this point, uh, his girlfriend, the love interest from earlier, shows up and finds him. You know, he's a shepherd. He's trying to live this austere life. And... He's like, all right, I, I don't want to be involved with this anymore because, again, he thinks he his gets, marketing palace is cursed. Like, I, you think you're a Buddhist or something? It's, it's pretty funny. Yes, that, those are her exact words. Do you think you're a Buddhist or something? And while she's here, he has a dream. He has a dream that tells the, him... The star cow. Don't forget the star cow that starts the star and ends cow. this movie with the star cow. Yes, him being struck by lightning, and that's how he get implicitly how he gets his marketing prowess. Um, he has a dream that tells him that he has to sacrifice a 
red cow. And and then they tied it with this and fucking bathed in its ashes. Yeah, and then they like he researches it on fake Google, and it's like some. Okay, but that happens <laughs> later. That happens later. He doesn't know about any of that. He just has a dream and is like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna do that. I guess. And keep in mind, this is all happening while his girlfriend is still staying there. She she leaves partway through, but he he just like is ordering all this lumber, and there's just like this ten minute sequence. Where he goes through this extremely elaborate ritual in the middle of nowhere, essentially just entirely spur of the moment. I love, I love that the point where he's built his like pyre, his like weird like tower of wood, and like it shows like someone driving away who's helped him move the wood, and he's yes, just waiting. Exactly. Right. So <laughs> he's like, all right, hey, I guess Mikhail wants some lumber for something. I don't know what the fuck he's doing, but. He seems fine. I'll help him with this, and then I'll leave. And this isn't, this isn't like you know, just like a big old firewood. This is like a tower. This is, this is an altar he's built. Essentially, this is an altar he's built out of plywood and balsa wood. That he's going, that he lures a calf that turns red in the sunset onto, slaughters it by hand with an axe. Sets it on fire. So this is why I feel like I feel left out that there's not this scene with that guy, whoever was in that truck, like this guy Yuri, who's like, "Well, okay, Misha, what's what are you doing?" And then Misha's just like, "I had a dream." <laughs> All right. So he collapses. He wakes up, and his girlfriend has basically kidnapped him, has him in the back of her car, and they're headed into Moscow. And this is when Mikhail finds out two important things. One, he has a kid with this woman because he's been gone for like five, six years or something. Two, the the least likable kid I've seen yes. on film. The for a kid while. is very fat. They're trying to sort of drive home that this guy's a bit of a brat, I guess. The second thing he sees is that there are parasites that latch onto people's backs. Like they're up there in the back of their necks, and each of these parasites is associated with a specific brand. For example, his kid, who is a big fan of the Spiegler Hamburger Company, has like a deflated clown looking thing attached to his head in the back of his neck. Yep. And, al- and also, the wife also has like a thing attached to it, but I wasn't sure what it was for. Yeah. Like, I was like, is that like a Starbucks thing or something? But it was never like made clear like what her thing was. What parasite was affecting her? But there was one. There was everyone that had a parasite or two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're like associated with the brands and the imagery for it's honestly kind of cool because they're like almost sort of like lava lamp bubbles that are like merging into each other and stuff. I, I, yeah, I kind of like the effects. Like, I like it how it looks fucking. Like you can tell that Russia's special effects industry isn't wasn't doing as well as the United States at the time, but on, like, a pure visual design level, it's pretty cool. I think the fact that it looked a bit fake actually added to the aesthetic. Honestly, yeah, it's fair. It's fair. Um, so, do you want to finish things up from here, Torm? Because, yeah, this movie's fucking weird. <laughs> I There's so much I, lo- I liked about this movie. It's such a flawed movie. So flawed. Like, um, but there's so many things that thi- I like... The thing you have to keep in mind is that all of the listeners is that all of this is like framed in a super stereotypical Hollywood bullshit way. Like this is structure. Well, the structure is really bizarre, but like the way the characters are written and it's shot, 
is all very stereotypical. Like, you can tell the movie is, like, some Ru- some Russian film studio aspiring to do, like, some big Hollywood production stuff. Oh, yeah, it was, that was a lot of... This movie was full of ambition. Yes. And they couldn't quite make it, but I'm glad that they tried. Um, there's two points that I really like. The one thing I like, the, the bullshit backstory that Misha had, where he's just like, he's like, they're like, why do you speak English so well? And oh, yeah, like, well, that, like, was British so communist, just and they would... on the nose, extremely fucking on the nose exposition in this movie. It, it, no, I kind of liked that because some reviews I read complained about it. But at the at least in the early stage, it made it, it gave it a kind of like a fairy tale aspect, which I kind of liked. I didn't mind the bad exposition, just like blunt object. Um, what took me out of this movie, uh, and this might not affect a lot of people, was when he was having that that meeting with the um, the dim song company people yeah. like the chinese people none of those were chinese they were all fucking asian russians they were none of them were chinese at all they didn't look chinese at all and i was like these are clearly siberians and they weren't and when they had that like they were talking to each other I'm like they're not speaking chinese they're clearly speaking buryat or something like this is bullshit the ambition about this movie is impressive but it's all done in the most, like, hacking way possible. There's this, like, awful... Uh, honestly, I'm mixed on the voiceover. It gives me... It, I get you, it gives me sort of a fairy tale feel. But then there's the stuff, like, him explaining his backstory. Just off scuff. Oh, yeah, my dad was a British communist. <laughs> they wouldn't let him leave. And they wouldn't let him leave. And, like, it's him literally explain Like, there's no character to it. It's just... Him explaining the most matter-of-fact way of the course about 20 seconds, like, this is my backstory. Here's why I can speak English. Like, you can tell there was a point that some executive or something was like, wait, why can this guy speak English so well? And they're like, oh, fuck, shit. Okay, I guess we got to yeah, shoot it was, a couple it new was scenes. utterly unnecessary backstory yeah. details. I'm like, I did not care why we should spoke English so well. I did not give a shit. But I'm like, okay, Sam was a British communist. Okay, that makes sense. Didn't need that info. Thank you. So, like, yeah, he comes back to Moscow. He's trying to raise his kid. The whole time he's saying that, seeing these parasites attached to everyone's necks. He has a nervous breakdown. Like, that's the thing. I love the, this movie and sort of what it's... Trying to do. What it's trying to do. Trying to do. Well, not... not and I hate how it's trying to do it. I hate how it's coaching all this and the Hollywood aspirational bullshit. I just wish it went full weird. It went full. Everyone's questioning this guy's sanity. And the movie itself makes it ambiguous of over whether or not this guy's actually mentally sound. Because, again, the first third of the movie is a fucking corporate drama. And then from there, it turns into... I don't even know how to fucking... Like, They Live is the easiest comparison, but that's not apt. Yeah, no, it's, it's, not, it's not the same as They Live. It's a very different setup. It's... Ah, oh, fuck. This movie is a missed opportunity in a lot of ways. I kind of feel that there's a really good movie like lying on the editing room floor somewhere of this movie. I don't know. I don't think it's an editing room thing. Like, the the script is too shitty. Like, too much of this is just coached and bullshit Hollywood stuff. But if you took this same concept and just 
leaned hard into all the weird bullshit and made it a lot more ambiguous over whether this guy is actually trustworthy at all. Yeah, that could help a lot. Yeah. Just made this guy a lot sketchier and just go like, oh right, he had a full-blown fucking breakdown after the mentor character has a heart attack and he's not trustworthy at all. Have him a lot less reliable in general and then just had the general plot of the movie be the exact same from there on. So you feel that like... I think it would be a lot more interesting. Do you think there was like... uh problems with producers like trying to make things too obvious for people honestly like, no i think like the people making this movie were like we want to have this moral we want to drive home this shit we're going to be really fucking on the nose the whole time and, and the and the end he defeats advertising he yes. defeats it he, which he is kills hilarious. advertising it's, i love this whole theme now. of like Lennon was the creator of like marketing. Yes. That's a, that's fun. That shit's fun. And the fucking end credits have just got it's just propaganda and it's so good. Yeah, like you can tell that you know, this is coming from a Russian background and they're very much being like, Oh, propaganda and advertising is the same thing, capitalism, communism comparisons, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Cause like this is this whole thing is like not going from the perspective of, like, capitalism bad so much as systems of domination is the same. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a weird message. I'm not sure what the message is exactly for this film. Oh, like, I, it's advertising is bad. I think it's, like, like, we can talk about how much we wish this movie did more interesting shit, but I don't think at, like, maybe at the original screenplay level, but nothing beyond that. I actually think you're doing something interesting with this movie. This, the whole time this was kind of like a shitty attempt at a Russian version of a Matrix-style blockbuster. Yes, they tried and it didn't work, yeah. But I kind of am not unhappy that I watched this film no, like, I thought this was just going to be, like, real... Like, it was on the nose, but just the, the slaughtering of the calf. Just, movie was just way... it. Part of it knew how fucking weird yep. it was. Yep. And leaned into it. I just wish you had done that harder. I mean, it, and there was... And, and to be honest, there wasn't any other movies really to watch for this. Like, this is the best we could find. We were throwing around a good burger and shit, but no, this ended up working very well. Like, this is UA in a way that I did not predict. And it, But it, it launches straight into it. Like, the opening 10 seconds is, like, about the invisible clergy, pretty much. Essentially, yes. I don't think this was, like, an exact UA adaptation anyway. Like, occasionally, I walk, like, Under the Silver Light gave me the impression, like, okay, maybe this guy knows about this. This... This was all purely subconscious. This was all people just trying to make a movie, grasping at something weird, and in the process just hitting the nail right on the yep. head. Yep. It's a very UA movie, really, in many ways. I mean, the way I can sort of see this, like, the way this movie sort of makes sense is, like, the Mikhail guy, essentially, that's how a charger sort of sees themselves probably more of an avatar honestly but that's like once someone has their trigger event 
this is how they're looking at the world. But look, like they're doing that sort of through the shitty hacky justifications that Hollywood yeah. has taught them, right? I can kind of see like if he was an avatar of like of like the propagandist or like the Heisenberg messenger or something, then that whole thing about it was all it was Lenin all along kind of makes sense. It's like an it's like an avatar thing. Like that's why he is into like even though it's nothing to do with anything because it's the same avatar that kind of could make sense. And then he just cuts himself off from it, goes in the countryside, and becomes an agrogromancer. Yeah, and and the stock cow teaches him. The stock cow was ridiculous. And the stock cow teaches him to slaughter one of his children, so that he can see the fucking advertiser parasites. I do really, I do are... really love his trigger event of like being struck by lightning in the bread line. It's amazing. And then the old woman being like, you're lucky. What is it she says? Uh, she's just like looking down at him and then walks away. It's hilarious. It's a great trigger event. And then he's dormant for a while. Then he's dormant for a while. And then he gets activated again by the bull in his dreams. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he just goes with it. I have been trying to push my UA group for a while to do either like 1980s Soviet game or 1990s like post-Soviet Russia game because it's such a great time period for UA shenanigans, I think. You have a perfect example now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Something else I was thinking of actually as I was watching this. So we have all of these brands that are sort of characterized by their own parasites, right? Yep. And then he hatches one. And he, and he hatches one. <laughs> oh, okay. So, but yeah, we have all these brands that have their own special parasites. Like, the Burger Company is a clown, that type of thing. And this was making me think about how all the various sects of Mac Attacks have their own theming. We're talking about, yeah. you know, the clown, the king... The Colonel, the Mermaid, right? The Melusine, but yes. Yes, well, that's the thing. Each of those kind of tie into their own archetypes, don't they? Sure. Like, pretty directly. Like, okay. And, like, I'm talking about this in the character of the sects. Like, okay, let's look, look, let's look at Mac Attacks here, right? This is formed by this naive young man hoping to change the world and it brings in a lot of similar minded people so, with similar ideas so the, fool? the clown the fool. exactly and uh the king ends up being formed by this ambitious woman who is literally channeling the true queen yep the colonel i'm not really sure what would be going on there i could see that tying into the captain archetype perhaps Maybe. i mean yeah it's definitely military this military it's leader military. But, exactly like we think that that they may be compromised and then the melusine the mermaid right i don't know of any archetypes that are like that maybe something like the siren yeah but yeah sirens more like it ties into that whole femtal thing but I'm not sure... That well, gonna... I mean, you could say the Naked Goddess, but that's specifically tied into sexuality. I don't think that's the core of the siren, no, necessarily. No, it's not. Like, a lot of sirens in myth are physically pretty ugly looking. And I think that's where it ties in with the Starbucks thing, right? The siren 
is giving people what they want. You have these sailors who have been away from women for months. And they hear the voices of this these beautiful women in the distance. And they want that. They need to go to that. And sort of in the same way, the mermaid, the Melusine, is giving, you know, your average Joe what they need to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Okay. So... Hypothetically speaking, the archetype of the siren is less about, like, the libido, less about sexuality. It's more about just flat desire and need. So someone working at Starbucks could be channeling that. Someone that's a drug dealer could be channeling that. I mean, yeah. We we did talk about, like, it could be some narco-alchemy bullshit going on there. Yep. Any sort of pusher. Now, but the other thing here is that the fact that all of these sects are, you know, tied into a certain archetype, whether it's ones we know or otherwise, kind of tells me that perhaps some of their power is coming from the fact that they're building egregores. Quite possibly, yeah, I can see that. Despite being characterized often as this very, you know, naive, uh, high-minded... Uh, sect of the underground that is, you know, generally considered... The people are surprised that they're still around, even though they have split up. Maybe it's because that they've anchored themselves to these parts of the clergy. I could see actually, like, for example, if it was just McDonald's and, like, Ronald McDonald as the clown as the fool, I could see, like, avatars of the fool not being happy with that because it weakens their own individual connection and becomes a corporate version of something that's that they true too sacred. yeah you know they consider the, the, the path of the fool to be sacred and mcdonald's is just corporatizing it it's commercializing it whether or not this is even intentional on the parts of these sects right like i mean the fool especially they by by its nature they wouldn't know that they're doing it but i mean erica fisher could understand what she's building here and be doing that very intentionally yeah for sure and that sort of ties in with Branded here. So maybe in this process, Mac Attacks is creating something that could very easily lose control of it if they even know they have it. Yeah, it would be, yeah, it's a horrifying idea uh, if they were to try to create something uh, accidentally. Yeah, that, that could be fucked. That's what was coming to my mind as I was watching this movie when I wasn't just being struck by like, holy shit, this guy is sacrificing a calf to see. Like, because they look like something like they, they live. That's like a very, it's very natural. It's like, okay, you're putting on the glasses. You see the real I, world. I now. Think that the no, this is involved. They, the comparison with they live is very superficial, in yes. my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, a, it's a different kind of movie. I do, like, it's. It's basically like he took, um, what's the word for it, UPS, the uh, narco-alchemic substance that lets you see the truth. It's very much like that, except he did it through a ritual. Or he's seeing, like, into the astral plane and seeing all the astral parasites, which are apparently tied into brands. Corporate astral parasites is kind of fucked up. I like that concept. That might be another thing they're working on at Hamburger University. Yep, they're working on a lot of shit there. I do think, like, the end of the movie when he was, like, hatching the, the fucking vegetarian restaurant dragon thing, that could be a campaign. 
that could be like we're gonna like take down a lot of things here could be a campaign yeah there's just a lot of like again the movie's the movie's all right but if you're tuned into this at all just every the entire time you're watching this you're like holy shit i think that this movie benefits a lot from knowing unknown armies yes absolutely absolutely so I think this is probably, our audience is probably the best possible audience for this film. Yeah, a lot of this is stuff that we're pulling out of the movie that I'm almost certain isn't stuff they put in there intentionally. But that's how the statusphere works, man. It's all, in, it's, it's all intuition. It's all just getting those weird ideas as an artist and totally subconsciously. And then in the process, you end up accidentally describing pretty much the entirety of how the universe works so and that, that is not congrats. that is a completely unknown army's concept that like there's this vessel of truth in the form of a terrible english language russian film from 2012 that no one watched like that makes so much sense that it's the vessel of the real truth yeah um it, i like this it wasn't good but i liked it i yeah i did i did not regret watching it at all um, it, it, I liked bits of it. I liked a lot of it, actually, but it just didn't come together very well. I, yeah, I liked it in isolated instances. As a whole, it doesn't work. No. Um, but still. I, it, I, do you recommend it? Because I kind of recommend it. To our audience, yes. Like, to most people, no. But like you're saying, like to people that are tuned to the underground, fans of unknown armies, all that stuff. You're going to get more fun out of this than most people would. And to be honest, there wasn't much else in terms of the media that we could actually recommend or talk about. Um, I watched half of Poultrygeist, the trauma film, and it was pretty bad. And um, you watched that anime, and I read that manga about the demon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And... I was considering going into the occult significance of Good Burger, but we'd honestly need an entire episode for that, so we wanted to scale things back a bit. Any other thing that you'd like to bring up, Torrenton, before we leave our listeners here? Uh, Cold and alone in a cruel, cruel world? I I just want people to know that the truth is on the placemats. You just have to put the right lines between them. Wise words. Later, listeners. Oh, one more thing before we go. Weird kind of new to this whole worldwide web thing. And we've had a couple listeners contact us wondering how they can be on the show as callers. We've had a hotline for a while. And we just sort of forgot that all these people coming in through our new uh, internet presence wouldn't have remembered it. So for all you new listeners... You can contact us at 18-333-FM-RDIO. That's right. 18-333-FM-RDIO. If you have any porn information you're just dying to let us know about, give us a call.